everybody welcome we're finally back with a marvelous demystifiers episode if you know about it you know this is exciting you're elite <laughs> maybe uh more people need to know just how thick and juicy the gravy is in these shows so let them know do uh do us a favor share it out there with someone else you know that likes comic books and likes esoterica <laughs> you're not gonna find this anywhere else this level of decode uh, it's gonna be a heady one tonight We've learned from the ever-increasing complexity of each time we do one of these that we're just planning to do two-parters now, <laughs> which is it's kind of crazy because we're talking about 45 minutes of, of content in terms of the episode two of season two of Loki. But hey, it, like the, I think I just get better at this and I, I, I understand the way that the symbols get layered and the 
the numbers, the letters, and it uh, it just grows and blossoms out from there. It's so fun. I've had this experience for the last several of these where I pick a direction, like a, a major arcana theme, and I just go with it and start going through the episode and find evidence to support my conclusion that is not just supportive of it, but is like conclusive evidence. And this happened again with the the one we're going to talk about today and the, the ways that my assumptions were confirmed as I took the fine tooth comb through this episode were just outrageous. So Gabe, how are you doing, man? You excited to get, be uh, back into the marvelous demystifying? I know I am. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I'm doing wonderful. Thank you for asking. Uh, yeah, I got myself a nice new grill, a bunch of dental work. So I'm shining bright and fresh. Uh, uh, the audio is all crazy. Do you have, head, do you have uh, earbuds you can put in and talk through a mic on one of those jammies? Maybe. Sorry to steal your thunder and your, your teeth look great. Thank you. Thank you. All is well. Let me see if I can link in with some uh, earbuds. Yeah. You just sound like one of those voice, like a witness protection voice <laughs> changers. It's it's funny. It's like you're a Star Wars character. So yeah, see if we can get that going. We're just doing what we can to get ourselves in the the synchronized, correct timing of things, and not be on the delay that we've dealt with in the past. So there's a lot to talk about. All right, Gabe, try again. How's that? It is the same. <laughs> oh no, that's right. Yeah, if um, if we have to, just say again. Back back out and come back in. Try that. If we're still having trouble, we're going to just put you on the laptop and go with the the delay and dance with that particular time signature. We'll do what we got to do. It's a difficult trade-off because this has good timing, but not good sound. Yeah. If if you had uh, earbuds that could plug into the phone that had Mike on the earbuds, I think that would work perfectly. All right. I'll be back in a minute. All right. Cool. All right. So. MS says, yeah, it's totally what it sounds like. He sounds like a Star Wars character. <laughs> so I'll just uh, introduce a little bit about this episode, get into the backstory. This one's called Breaking Brad. If you're new around here, you can totally watch this without knowing what goes on in this TV show, Loki, or if you didn't catch the previous episodes of this. But if you like it, go back and check out the previous episodes of this because it all builds on itself. Where we left off before season one episode or season two, episode one was Loki having a Phoenix moment where he had to uh, crucify himself and then be reborn and rip, violently rip himself from every uh, thread of time and space. And uh, at that point, we start out in season two, episode two, Breaking Brad with the uh, all important mission of trying to find Sylvie, the, the female Loki. So that's where we begin in this episode. Hopefully we see Gabe here in a second. I'm just going to say hi to people in the chat. What's up, Priscilla, Jimmy, MS, Cody, Christy Crinkle. I like that name. Cool. Dylan's in the house. Wifey, Jenny G. Good to see you all. Um, so if you couldn't, if you weren't aware, this title is a play on the TV series Breaking Bad. Which, other than that, uh, like, punny title, I don't see actually a lot of similarity in in the two things and the two shows. I don't think that that's really a thread worth uh, pulling on, but it is a thing. So, one of the things we're going to do, like, every time we decode these is we're bringing up some tarot cards from the Major Arcana 
that have a strong correspondence to the particular episode. Being that there's 12 episodes of this series, I I think that it's fair to look for two cards being prominent in each of these episodes. And so far, that's borne a lot of fruit to think about things that way. The one that I see is most significant is definitely the high priestess or in the Thoth, Crowley, Tarot, what they call just the priestess. All right, we got Gabe in the house. We'll just dance with that little delay. No big deal. Hey, man, welcome back. So I'm just going over the high priestess forum. High priestess letter, and the letter is so important, is Gimel, which is the G. It's the G that's also a C, kind of, because it's the third letter of the old alphabets. The meaning of Gimel is foot or camel. It can refer to pride, lifting up somebody. That's kind of like reward. So the less common usage that at least I find it less common is the giving of reward or punishment. But I don't <laughs> I don't see a camel so much in this episode, but all the other elements are definitely there of the gimel. Another thing that's important when we're analyzing these things is to consider the spelling of the letter, because if we're just looking for gematria for the number three, which gimel is number three as a, a number, it doesn't give you a whole lot. But if you spell it out, now you have a bigger number. gives you a lot more leeway to play with. So Gimel spelled out Gimel Mem Lamed, GML, that equals 73. 73 has got all kinds of cool mysteries around it. I particularly am excited to know why Gabe was already talking about 73 recently with, with our buddy Topher. <laughs> uh, so you have, with 73, the most cool mystery about it to me is how it's the 21st prime number, prime numbers being numbers that are not divisible by any number other than one and themselves. So the 21st prime number, but then if you uh, reverse 73 and they make it 37, turns out 37 is the 12th prime number. So 73, the 21st, flip it, 37 becomes the 12th. So 21 flipped is 12. Something really weird going on with that, which I think is is really cool. So I'm opening up the analysis to look for 73 most prominently is definitely 73 but 37 21 12 i consider all that in the mix the high priestess as a as a card meaning wise just full of meaning you see the uh the moon crescent moon at her feet this is secretly a symbol of the ark not just the moon you have the horned uh, helmet you got the two pillars you got the pomegranate the fruit she's Guarding a portal or a gateway, there's some mystery or secret that she's keeping. She's holding the Torah, the scroll of the law. Um, Gabe, you want to unload on the, the the Thoth Priestess card? I feel like you've probably given that one more thought than me. Uh, for things that we might be looking to notice in this episode as they show up on that card. Yes, sir. Uh, thank you. Um so it is going to be a bit of a time capsule because I did. I recorded a whole episode with Topher that's going to come out in a, in almost a two weeks. I'm right after an episode after funny artifacts that uh, she gave to Topher. And so here I am kind of informed ahead of this uh, show but 73 was the focus of our mathematical that Topher and I went through 
I I was sure you were talking to Topher when you were telling me about 73. So very powerfully synchronous. And so there is, there's a time capsule and a torch being handed off. So uh, expect some, if you will. But yes, uh, number uh, the high priestess is in the giver seat in the Enneagram. So giver, gemel, uh you know, her arms are open and there's abundance at her feet with the uh, shadow of um, pride. In the infernal spirit of pride is Lucifer. So here are some of our occult hail signs. And yes, the Torah scroll is crucial. Uh, she's like the given. I have found the Greek news here. And the Greek muse does not have the same battle strategy on her lap. It's actually, uh, it's iconoclastic that she has a different scroll. And this is a point where we can see maybe there's a different camps in the occult world. Because in the Greek, in the Greek muse cycle, this is Cleo, the muse of history. And she has uh, uh, the scroll that is Theusidides' history of the Peloponnesian War. In this scroll is the uh, provenance of working in uh, negotiating inequity. And the treaties of the Mylians, the Mylian dialogues, are an artifact of Thucydides' history of the Peloponnesian War in her lap. And so her name is uh, Cleo, which means glory and glory, uh, the story of history, uh, shining favorably on heroes. Uh, so, yeah, those are some of the artifacts here. And then I've got to point out the Diana and the Huntress because in the Thoth deck, she's got a, a bow on her lap with a couple of loose arrows. And it's almost like the old card had the scroll was hidden or closed. But the, in the Thoth deck, it's like, nope, let it all hang out, baby. And so the hunt is on. It's kind of the symbol I get with the Diana and the archery of the, the arrows. It's like the battle is on is kind of what I see in the difference between these cards. I love that, man. And that's a really great thing to point out for this episode, because it's about like the whole thing, or at least the beginning of it is about hunting the hunter, right? They're hunting hunter X five. And the bow is an arc, like the shape of an arc. And the arc is a big part of this episode hiding behind the surface. You would maybe never have noticed, but trust us, it's there. And we'll reveal all that as we go. The, oh yeah, here's a, actually I had a slide on this. Yeah. So the GML, um, GML, 21st prime number, seven times three is 21. So 73, the 21st prime number, multiply those digits, you get the number prime that it is. <laughs> and then the reverse 37 is the 12th prime number. Pretty cool. And I, I was thinking about like atomic number 73, just because <laughs> once you get up to there to those higher elements, it is all occultism. <laughs> I mean, there were uh, several examples where motherfuckers just made up an element <laughs> and everybody took their word for it and it got added to the table. And you're seeing a lot of that coming out to the fore of, of uh, you know, fake science with the resignations at the big Ivy League universities like Harvard. But tantalum, it really caught my eye because Tantalus is a, a mythological king who invited the gods over for dinner one night and he thought, I'm going to offer them the best thing I can. So he sacrificed his own son and cooked him up and put him on the table. 
And I believe uh, they started digging into the shoulder, <laughs> some scapulomancy for you there, before the gods realized what they were doing and got upset. They punished Tantalus by putting him in a boat and uh, tying him down so that he has eternal thirst but can't quite reach the water. And uh, grapes are dangling above his head and he's eternally hungry, but he can't quite reach the grapes. Very Promethean in the punishment. And with Gimel referring to punishment and reward, I see that very appropriate indeed that <laughs> Tantalum, atomic number 73, would be what they call that. It has this 73 has this resonance to get the high priestess in Gimel. Very interesting stuff. And then we want to talk about uh, the lovers card is the other one that I see prominently in this episode. I mean, you can make a case that the whole show as a ma macrocosm has a lot to do with the lovers, but just for the sake of this analysis, we want to talk about the letter Zion, the seventh letter of the Hebrew alphabet. The Z means a plow, a weapon to cut off or to pierce. And uh, in modern Hebrew, it's slang for your, your tool. <laughs> The way guys will call their junk their tool, the Hebrews, I guess, like to call it the, my weapon. <laughs> so when you spell out uh, Zion, it's 67, Zion, Yad, Nun. So we'll, we'll take a peek around for some 67s as well. And I find it cool that those are the two that I landed on that seem to jump out the most for me in this episode. Uh, <clears throat> because if you recall back in the end of season one, when we were talking about the 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 reaching of the crown of the tree of life, the Keter, when all of the whole series of season one culminated with them reaching, you know, the big bad, he who remains at the top, that there is this whole thread about the left-hand path and the right-hand path of the tree. And in Hebrew gematria, 73 is chokmah, meaning wisdom, and 67 is bina, bina, understanding. And this is right, taking us right back to the two sides of the tree. These are these these concepts are uh, across from each other, across the mirrored center column from one another. And so these two options, the right-hand path and the left-hand path, just keep kind of showing themselves as part of the plot that the characters are are dealing with the ramifications of whatever choice they decide to put themselves on. Uh, Gabe, you want to jump in? Yes, sir. Uh, so one of the the major weaves, uh, even on my own channel right now, it has to do with having discovered the musical instruments of my Capueta ritual in the tarot cards that is informing my perspective on a whole new level. In a very long, uh, I just had a branch on my show for my first live interview last night. So uh, I just want to be... Uh, very grateful, and I want to thank everybody who helped fight off all the the swarm of pestilence. We had a, a bunch of, uh, you know, all those fake accounts from the dead internet theory. They all came to life and came to my show last night. So I want to thank my wrench team for fighting them off. Uh, it, apparently, it was a it was quite a bit of kung fu going on that I that I missed out on. So I know you guys were. Uh, I feel left out. The bots no, so never. There has been me. a bit of a swarm around the cicada spell. And, oh, it was wild. It was a wild, wild ride. But I had a LeBranch on, and we were talking about cicadas. And sure enough, the dead internet came buzzing around like, like mad. And so my wrench team was like, 
kicking ass all night long. I just kept seeing fools getting kicked out and bots getting zapped. It was kind of fun. Uh, and we we could make that like a, a regular game. Y'all could come help zap some because they were really, it was intense. See, Rachel was killing them. She was knocking them out. Okay. But I just want to, I, I want to bring the cicada weave here as well <laughs> um, because of the number bus. This is, I think a lot of uh, what we talked about is the power of numbers and getting drunk on the truth of number and how finding out that the cicadas are obsessed with prime numbers has has gotten me. It's like I've been, I was sober from the numerology. I was like, no, I don't need any. And I got a sip of the good stuff when I started looking into cicadas and prime numbers. And I'm like, oh, I got to go back into the numerology jungle again. So expect more on this. But I want to say this. Part of the discovery is the two broods that are coming to the surface are the 13-year brood and the 17-year uh, brood. That is the sixth prime in the seventh prime. Those broods of cicadas are coming forward for a wedding. And they actually time themselves to syncopate so they can cross their genetics on certain years. And so six and seven coming up in the wedding card. I did not expect you to do this. We are weaving incel in a fascinating way already. And I already know, I already know towards the end, I get I get the biggest confirmation towards the end of this episode that they are buzzing these uh these call signs, these buzzwords, heading back to the art craft of the theater and Aristophanes, the comedian, who wrote the play The Wasps. And right now we have a white Anglo-Saxon Protestant about to take the stage and buzz everybody's head. And uh, I'm just learning that for most of my life, I was in a, a flyover state. I was in a, a state of these buzzwords were flying over my head. This is jet setter terminology. And these sophisticated fuckers, uh, they totally know how to uh, harness the buzzing of these insects to hit us extra hard. And so this uh, cicada spell, and I, I want to say this too, most of the states actually had mosquitoes removed uh, heavily over the last year. So we've actually been abstaining from the sound of bugs. I think they spayed all the bugs under the cover of we're going to take out the mosquitoes. And we were actually had a whole summer with no, no buzzing. And just like during the lockdowns, when we weren't going to the movie theater, the first movies we went to hit harder. You've got to think of these things as drugs. And so we were abstaining from movies. And when they opened the movies up, the first ones hit even harder for the first time. Same thing with the insects and the bug calls. So last year was a year with little or minimal bug calls while they're telling you that Bill Gates is launching synthetic bugs into your mind. Uh, I even saw headlines of them releasing bugs during the winter, which is like, yeah, yeah, scientists would do that. Yeah, right, whatever. So. The bug thing is cool. There's the 67 and we'll circle back at the end. Sorry. Yeah. I hope people see the, the wild significance of that cicadas. Uh, they'll probably need to go to your channel to get all the mysteries of cicadas and augmented reality games and all of that. But I uh, never thought about the number prime that the cicadas coming out on our six and seven, giving you that Zion lover's card. That's pretty cool. I could comment about the bugs. I mean, I, I've seen like the waxing and waning of the amount of bugs 
over the last 15 years, it's been very strange and sometimes disturbing when there's no, you know, you go on a three hour road trip and there's not, there's no need to squeegee your windshield anymore where you used to take that same drive and you'd be pelted and you'd have to clean off the windshield halfway through. But we're going to jump into the very opening established shot here of the episode. And we're given a time and a place, which means we got we got to think about London 1977. So London 1977, and in the background it says on this London Messenger, like tabloid booth, it says, dreams, what do yours say about you? So the question of dreams, we're going to have that in the forefront of our mind as we discuss <laughs> what was going on around London in the UK in 1977. This will take a moment, but this year was Definitely a year of dreams for the maintenance of the sacred timeline. That is the implementation of what they want everyone to believe their timeline is and where it's going and and where it's been. So here are some of some of there are many more examples, but here are some of the things going on. It's just a jam packed year. Holy shit. So first of all, the United Kingdom holds the presidency of the Council of the European Union for the first time in 77. In January, on the 29th, you have seven uh, IRA, Irish Republican Army, bombs exploding on the west end of London. There's apparently no fatalities or serious injuries, but there's a bombing. And then February 4th, there's a, the, uh, a big news story about the police discovering an IRA bomb factory. In April, on the 8th, the punk band, The Clash, they have their debut album released in the UK. The, the album called The Clash. April 23rd, oh man, the National Front, which is a uh, apparently a uh, Holocaust-denying <laughs> nationalist group of the United, of, uh, United Kingdom who believes the Jews controlled the financial and governmental spheres of the world. They get into a clash with so-called anti-Nazi protesters in London. Uh that's just the warm up though. We'll get we'll we'll circle back around. May 7th uh is the third G7 summit held in London. 1977 G7. The Downing Street Summit Declaration was issued from this G7 summit. <laughs> Man, the third G7 summit. I mean, there you go. You have 37, you have 3G that G is seven. It's in 1977. So G7 is 77. So much seven. Uh, but this Downing Street Summit Declaration basically forms the basis for the idea of a one world economy and the leading role of the International Monetary Fund and the austerity measures that would come later were basically uh, previewed and virtue signaled around energy conservation and the limitation of oil use. <laughs> 77, though, in Hebrew Gematria, that's that's OZ. It is, right? It's I-N Zion, though, is 77. Uh, Oz, like the Wizard of Oz. It's a word that means strength. Uh, Another another 77 is Alm, Aleph, Vav, Lamed, Mem, which is the entrance or vestibule to the temple, the preparation spot for the entry to the holy place of power. The uh, spot, the it's literally the place where the high priestess is seated is a word that equals 77. But going on, May 8th, you have the Convention on the Prohibition of Military or Any Other Hostile Use of Environmental Modification Techniques. Whoa! 
we're talking about weather control. <laughs> That's on the table. Uh, June 20th, you have, this is a weird one, man. <sighs> There's a fake documentary aired in 77 to uh, British people called Alternative 3. And it's about the secret space program. It's about the idea of brain brain drain, like stealing of scientists or whacking of scientists for competing countries. But it's it's so it's so ridiculous. They're basically putting out this documentary as if it's all real to the public on national TV about uh, the Apollo astronaut seeing a, a moon base on his moonwalk. Um, that also they revealed that in the fifties scientists had secretly determined that the earth's surface would be unable to support life for very much longer because of catastrophic pollution and climate change. So they're already saying this all the way back then, you know, still hasn't happened. Uh, they say that there's a secret space program that's already colonizing Mars and a lot more stuff than that. So this is really where the entry into conspiracy canon of just straight up comedically retarded shit is being peddled as if it's real, which and <laughs> there's a lot of people in conspiracy culture that will just list. They'll believe anything that's just not what the mainstream is and then spread it around and think about the seeds that are planted right here. Dreams, right? Of secret space programs and secret moon bases and all this stupid stuff that we still see. It's still alive. Like once it's entered into the canon, it never goes away. Really? People are still going to be going around it. Uh, so thanks for that one. Alternative three. Let me get a couple more out. Gabe, we'll finish the, uh, the slide. <laughs> Other things that happened in 77 was the finance act, which abolished the collection of tithes. That's an interesting one from, for the church of England. The, uh, and then this is the big one, August 13th, the battle of Lewisham, which was an attempt by the far right national front to, March from New Cross to Lewisham in southeast London, and uh, basically the Antifa of the day gets in their way, and they get into actual battles to the or fights to the point where they're actually commemorating it as the Battle of Lewisham with a plaque that says, "In Lewisham, in London, there's this plaque that says thousands here united against fascism and racism." Like, do you see like the same spell that we? This is the the uh you know the George Floyd riots. This is the BLM. This is all the same stuff. And last but no, it's two more. October twenty seventh, the the sex pest sex pests <laughs> sex pistols <laughs> release. Never mind the bollocks. Here's the sex pistols. I believe they also did like a uh, a a show on a boat on the Thames River and got arrested. Uh, we know that the punk bands are total Tavistock put-ups, totally fake news, uh, fake counterculture. And this I really like, though. Tolkien's The Silmarillion was published in 77 as well, posthumously. That's the only sacred timeline that I can get behind, the timeline of Middle Earth. I like that. So I just put a lot out there, and we haven't even got to the big, big one, but I have a whole slide for the what I think is the biggest part of 77. Uh, well, uh, the Tolkien part is interesting because it has the Middle Earth 
implication. They're in this liminal space of the alleyway here. Uh, and uh, on the wall is the uh, the Volkswagen. That's something that I focused in on. And the Volkswagen is a touchstone uh, spell because of the folks. Uh, uh, the mythology of the folks was revved up and turned into a frenzy uh, to spark off revolution in the psyche of the German people. So a lot of the social engineering of capturing your stories from childhood. Most of it, just a quick thing, Brothers Grimm and many of the stories that they harvested from people's childhood, we don't recognize them because some hero comes and saves the day at the end of those stories. That's not how German children were consuming their their. Uh, bedtime stories. The wolf always won. German children, the wolf always won. There was no lumberjack to come and make things right at the end. It was just, and then the wolf ate the kid. Go to sleep. And so that was the kind of stories that the Brothers Grimm was really fostering. And then I got to just mention that Adolf's name is the head wolf. The head wolf. That is what his name really means in Norse. And so my olfactory. I have so much on the wolf head and the head wolf. Of the social engineering. Yes. It's all it's th- so the head the, wolf and the uh, wolf head is uh, all throughout uh, this episode. Is l- yeah, buddy. Can put Garrett Lupinum in his common law for let him wear the wolf's head. And this is uh, a command. Order for the populace, for the demos, for the sullied, ignorant masses, literally the uh, foundation of the word democracy. This is a a command order for all of them. If If this renegade comes in your house, you have to burn your house down to kill him or else we'll think you're in cahoots with him. So... Uh, let him wear the wolf head is a command order that was hanging like a Dem McClee sword over everybody's head. And then they put a guy on stage whose name is the head wolf. So the social engineering of the folks was a river stone and they reversed the tone. And that is Adolf Hitler's car. And people turned it into a love bug. It's a love symbol. Here's the lover's card. These two uh, cherubs are very much like the lover's card right now in this scene. And there is a love bug Volkswagen Riverstone hypochorized terminology. They round out the folks. And now that pill goes down easy. Uh, Same thing with Porsche 911. Porsche 911 is a rounded out touchstone cultural icon that everybody loves or admires. Yeah. I didn't even know that that movie poster was the love bug till <laughs> Jennifer sent that to me, man. It's so internally consistent. I can't believe you're bringing up the wolf head because I didn't tell you, but the wolf head head wolf is there's lots of that encoded in this episode, man. And, uh, and we're going to learn about it. So Here's the big reveal, though. This was the other thing that happened in 77 that I find to be very important. The Silver Jubilee of Queen Elizabeth II, 25 years in her figurehead office. Pretty, pretty wild stuff. So I could have grabbed all kinds of images for this, but I thought this was most fascinating. These commemorative stamps for her Silver Jubilee. So and by the way, silver is a big part of this episode too. It's the pre high priestess card has the moon on it. The moon is associated with silver. There's a whole thing there. We'll talk about it as it becomes relevant, but this 
look at this thing right here, the ampulla and the anointing spoon on this third stamp. I mean, all of these royal implements on these stamps are are hella esoteric, but the anointing is probably the most quote unquote sacred part of the coronation ceremony. And it takes place before the invest investiture and crowning. We're about to get another one of those, I guess. I say we, I'm not part of the crown lands, but anyway, the archbishop who's there, he pours holy oil from the ampulla vessel into the spoon and then anoints the sovereign on the hands, the breast and the head. This is the monarch as the Messiah. And when I was showing Jennifer these stamps, she was like, oh, it's Seychelles. I've never heard of this, but it's an island that was a British African colony. And they have a matrifocal society that is like a matriarchy, very high priestessy. And what Jen pointed out was that what they say about Seychelles is the, the most beautiful women of the world come from Seychelles, which is Aphrodite. And the seashell. Wow. <laughs> you know? Um, but to think about what was going on there in 77, just because we're on 77, they gained independence from the UK the year before in 76. And then in 77, there was a coup d'etat and the first president of the Republic was ousted, which is interesting because before that in the 70s, Seychelles was the, was the place to be seen a playground for film stars and the international jet setters. And then after the, the coup, the, the new rulership wanted to keep Seychelles for the Seychellois. So Aphrodite and the seashell, totally something going on there. But the Silver Jubilee, I mean, the queen, she traveled all over to every Commonwealth country, to almost every county in the UK. It was a really big deal. They made a bunch of pomp and circumstance about the Silver Jubilee. Dude, what a dig. What a brilliant dig. Uh, I learned, or I was reminded that Elizabeth is actually, uh, I think that's John the Baptist's mom's name. So that gives kind of a Jesuit nod that I never really saw before, that Elizabeth is more of a John the Baptist lineage. Uh, I never thought of that, but this is a great find because uh, so much of what I've brought to the table today is all... um, uh, a lot of emperor card, but of course the high priest is uh, is is the is the connection line. The, the two to the four is moving from from pride high priestess, uh, the emperor card uh, number four. So yeah, these are all artifacts on the tarot, man. This is high high grade heraldry. Yeah, dude. Oh, this is this is just for you. So at that G7 event, the prime minister of Canada, Pierre Trudeau, father of the current prime minister, Justin, he pierrouettes behind the queen. Check it out. I even have a like we can watch the clip. <laughs> Here he goes. Woo! Look at that little fruity man. Oh, yeah. This was his thing. Pierre would pirouette. And. Allegedly, he did this at the uh, G7 behind the queen as a (laughs) as I don't know, some sort of rebellious act because he was supposedly not able to bring a date to the summit. I wonder, is it because the date was a man? I don't know. (laughs) Gabe's face is just frozen on wonder from seeing the 
the pirouette. <laughs> so, uh, very much, especially with that flower on his on his lapel there. This will be um, Heliogabalus, and uh, who is uh, an echo of Elcibiades. Uh, and that's fascinating because the number eight muse in the symposium is the muse of dance, Terpsichore. And she's turning and twisting and doing a little dance move. So he's actually, uh, Heliogabalus was like the Dennis Rodman of emperors. And people look him up to try to say like, oh, yeah, all the all the Romans were trans because there was this one emperor who wanted to piss everybody off really bad. So when you see these world leaders dancing, it's it's to provoke you. It's to it's made to uh, to uh, get your the bile churning. That's great. What an amazing catch! Uh, and Heliogabalus was all about the flowers too. This flower on lapel is probably a specific flower because uh, the Terpsichore often has a wreath with uh, specific whatever foliage. That's great, dude. Great catch. Yeah, you can just chalk that into the category of evidence that uh, Justin Trudeau's actually his real father is uh, Fidel Castro, not Pierre. I don't know that Pierre was fathering anybody. So we're back after all that. We're back into the analysis and the first lines of the episode as they're landing here in 77 London. Loki is saying we're not going to find Sylvie here because it's too safe. It's not a war zone. It's not an apocalypse. And here is some heavy-handed irony, kind of weaponized irony that, because London in 77 was totally a hotbed for IRA and National Front, totally total troubles. There's even that so-called Battle of Lewisham. And the media of the time, the, if you go look into movies and, and TV shows or just what the news talked about in 77 in England, it was all about apocalyptic predictions and apocalyptic sentiment. <laughs> whether it's from the consp- like the conspiracy culture this is what's important too is like what is now mainstream climate activism is straight out of what they seeded into conspiracy truther culture back in the 70s so back then if you were part of like the underground information you were you were talking about how like actually the earth can't support life and there's secret colonies on the moon and and mars and our, we're polluting the environment so bad we can't even live here where and then all that rhetoric eventually gets moved the Overton window gets moved and that becomes the the mainstream talking points. So you you have to be real careful about the talking points you take on from truth or conspiracy culture because it, you you, you want to be sure that this is not the stuff that's just seeded by the the Tavistockian institutes as a way to move the Overton window to new levels of like reality warping and manifestation. I speak and it becomes real type of stuff, you know, like <laughs> we're hip to the the climate hoax stuff now, but back then that would have been the edgy thing to talk about. Like uh, that you're not, you're not supposed to talk about this. So whether it's the punk bands or the <laughs> truth or culture, there's always been this controlled counterculture, pseudo counterculture, especially with music. I mean, that's huge. So they are here to find Hunter X5, who is one of the TVA agents who was sent uh, to find Sylvie. That was his mission. His temp pad went dark. Uh, so his temp pad is like his cell phone. 
And then, oh man, what's this, right? They're passing this movie poster on the way to the theater. Oh man, this is so big. <laughs> like you can barely see it. Uh, but I, I found a photo from the set of what is this movie poster? Cause it's not a real movie and it's the phone ranger. <laughs> Oh my God. If you remember the last, first of all, they're, they're finding, oh my gosh. Looking for, they're looking for X five with his, to track his temp pad. That's his phone essentially. And, uh, this phone ranger character is an obscure Marvel character. We'll talk about him a little bit, but if you remember when Loki had his whole Phoenix moment in the previous episode, the thing that heralded that the Ascension was about to occur was there's a, a bizarre like matrix esque phone that started to ring and the phone rings nine times. That's Roman numeral. I X phone. I X. <laughs> and then after the phone rings, I X times, then Loki had his death evaporating into fire and smoke and then rebirth as the Phoenix up in the air. All of that happened. But so this guy, the phone ranger, very obscure Marvel superhero who the story about him is he began as a telephone repair man. And his name was A.G. Bell, like Alexander Graham Bell, the inventor of the telephone. He discovered a broken phone that had acted as a prison for subatomic microverse alien aliens called the Celtas. I don't know. Is that the cell towers? (laughs) And uh, subsequently, this guy used the aliens technology to develop his superpower, which was the ability to tap into any phone line and surveil it. You you cannot make this shit up. They made this shit up. But anyway, the poster appears while Loki and Mobius are tracking the Tempad or phone of X5 because he's a criminal to the TVA universal government now by going rogue. AWOL. <laughs> so I just was thinking about this. Like there's a huge thread in this episode about phone tracking and, you know, uh, surveillance through the phones. And so I just did, did the philological due diligence and swap the pH to a B as you can do the phone as in the telephone or the phonograph by the seventies had become the bones of society. It's the structure that everything rests on and 77 in Hebrew, 1977, one of the meanings of 77 is goat. It's actually I N Zayn or Zion. It's the same word as Oz strength. So the goat is Capricorn and that's the bones and the structure. It's the Saturnian governance and authority and surveillance and all that. The phonograph, the telephone, the television, which TV, the TVA represents as that's what's transmitting the sacred timeline belief system to the society. All of these roll up into one device, the cell phone, which is what the Tempads represent. They are a portal to information about any time of human existence, at least information that's sanctioned by the authority to fit into the sacred historical narrative timeline and show up on the Google search results. Right. But really that's like the cell phone, the temp pad. It's such a huge symbol. It's the, (laughs) it is the sacred timeline. (laughs) It's the window to the sacred timeline. It's the distributor of uh, authorized history and all that. I'm not (laughs) this image from a phone ranger comic. Too many telephones have died today. The phone ranger is here to avenge them. It's so, it's so goofy. (laughs) That is, uh, 
Let's see. Uh, can you make Can you make me big? I want to show uh, how the, uh, the right on his chest is a three six nine encode. Uh, because uh, I actually watched a short documentary on the way they or- organized the numbers. They put a lot of time. They actually spent lots of money uh, deciding on how they were going to organize the numbers on the dial-up. But PH is a high priest. R, if, you know, here we might have fear. We got the one. But we also have anger in the word ranger. Uh, so, yeah, there's some fear and some anger and some oneness going on. But that is a fascinating little uh, little headline that, you know, criminals, he's got your number. Uh, that's, uh, you know, in the Enneagram theory, uh, I believe that they have everybody's, you know, credit score, which is a much more sophisticated gram impl- in, uh, patterning. I think we all share these grooves, these habits. So, yeah, having your number is totally an Enneagram social credit score encode from the conspiratorial lens. And this is why I love you guys in the chat. Polymathing just said. Wasn't the Lone Rangers saying hi-ho silver away? <laughs> it totally was. So if the phone rangers are playing the Lone Ranger, there's like another link to the silver of the high priestess and the moon, the HP PH man. It's good stuff. So really <laughs> enough with the, enough with this tangent. What a good tangent though. The, oh, oh, oh. so there's a movie, a big movie premiere happening at this theater. They're entering. And it's Zaniac starring Brad Wolf, which is Hunter X5, who they're chasing down. So in Marvel, Zaniac is a villain who is possessed by a parasitic swarm from the dark dimension that compels him to murder women. He just sees a woman. He's got to kill her. The 1977 is the year that the Yorkshire Ripper, like uh, the new Jack the Ripper in 77, he, he was a, uh, Famous female stabbing schizophrenic, and he was most active, most kills in 77. Schizophrenia is basically the same thing as being possessed by a parasitic swarm from the dark dimension. <laughs> Brad Wolf is actually the name of the alter ego of Zaniac in the comics, and that's the, the name of X5 on the sacred timeline. He's gone back to get his life back. So I think there's very much a Jack the Ripper, Yorkshire Ripper thing kind of hiding below the surface. And it's, there's the irony again of saying that 1977, like it's too safe. She wouldn't be here. This place was not safe at all. <laughs> it was really rough actually. And it's the nostalgia spell again. You know, there's something about the nostalgia spell that what they repackage and give you later on in the timeline about a previous era is like sort of the, the positives or the things that have you have the fond memories of. But when you really go back and examine what was going on, in what seems like from our nostalgia, a better time. It's all the exact same type of programming and social engineering and fear porn and all of it is all there. It's just the, maybe in some ways the intensity is ratcheted up, but it's not even that different. It's like, it's actually a, a very similar level of intensity to the the violence or, you know, the, the ginned up Antifa <laughs> protesters and counter protesters and, and all of that stuff. So, they're here to see this Brad Wolf guy, uh, but we see his car. I don't know if that's his car. Maybe. Maybe it's not his car. But there's a car parked out front of the theater, and you got to notice the ARC in the license plate, ARK158H. 
Uh, and I'm honestly a little embarrassed that I missed this up till now. And that would be that the Hebrew word that is spelled Tav Bet Hey, which is used to mean the Ark of Noah, biblically speaking, that it's a uh, it's transliterated usually as TBA or Tiba or something along those lines. But B and V are the same letter in the old alphabets. So literally the Hebrew word for the Ark of Noah is transliteratable to TVA, which blows my mind. I couldn't believe that because the TVA is very much like the Ark of you know, they've, they contain the entirety of the sacred timeline. They know the whole record of the sacred timeline. That's what an arc is. But the second part on this license plate was a little bit more of a mystery to me. One, five, eight H I tried all sorts of ways to look at it with Gematria. And then I simply decided to reverse engineer the numbers into Hebrew letters. So if you read it from right to left, it reads, ah, <laughs> but if you read it from left to right, it reads, ha ha. So I thought I was kind of getting laughed at here because I had gone all this series without connecting the TVA to the Hebrew word for the Ark, Tav Bet Hey. So I felt like I was being laughed at. <laughs> but it is worth mentioning that I I also discovered that this Tav Bet Hey, this word for Ark, it's also the same words where you get Thebes, uh, the city of Thebes, you get Tibet, all of those words. But another, it's a four of seven in Gematria, and uh, because Tav is 400, Bet is two, and Hay is five. And another 407 word in Hebrew actually means arrows, like from a bow. And we know that being that the being on the ark is Eros, the savior, the erotic principle. And it, he rides the ark in, in myth, or, you know, the representative of him in the Trinity, so to speak. And the uh, <laughs> arrows are in the ark through Gematria. Interestingly enough, they're, I mean, they're in the same number. Um, then there's this word in the Greek Septuagint. That's the, the first books of the old Testament written in Greek translated to Greek, the Septuagint, uh, in Exodus two, two, they refer to the Ark as a, Hey, Hey, Theba, you know, same word basically, but in Greek, it equals 37 rather than the 407 of the Hebrew version of it. So there's the 37 of our high priestess, the twelfth uh, prime, seventy three, thirty seven, twenty one, twelve, twelve, all of that caper, <laughs> and thirty seven carries the idea of sanctuary, which is relevant uh, in in various parts of this episode too, um, <clears throat> and really just like the idea of something being arcane or the arcana, it refer referring to secrets like the high priestess. Uh, that word comes from ark, and one of those secrets is that the crescent symbol is often confused to represent the moon while it's covertly or it's been forgotten that it's a symbol for the ark. And now, and now let's talk about the dogheads game because I can't believe the wolfhead doghead thing was on your mind too. Blows my mind. So let's talk about it. Cynocephaly is the word that means dogheadedness. <laughs> Brad Wolf, he's dogheaded. Uh, you've all heard of Anubis. That's a dog-headed in God, and there's other versions of it. But did you guys know about St. Christopher? St. Christopher was a dog head. Yes. Dylan's beating me to the punch. I've got this in the notes, of course, that a bark, B-A-R-Q-U-E, is an archaic word for ships. <laughs> so there's your dogs barking and and, and barks sailing. Uh, 
Now, in Greek, the word arke means head, and the word bark, like the sound dogs make, that's bark with a Q-U-E. That's a boat like Noah's Ark, Noah's Bark. So much dog-themed stuff going on. Uh, calling on the 67 from the Zion on the lover's card, that 67 also gets us a name, biblically, of Nibhaz, which is a deity listed in the Bible of like the, you know, those bad, those bad other tribes where this Nibhaz is the name derived from a Hebrew word, Nibach, which is their word for barking like a dog. So this is a, a deity referenced or an idol referenced in the Old Testament that the name of this deity is called the Barker. <laughs> and you have a 67 of our lover's card here. Um, <clears throat> and this dot. Okay. Yeah. So the group, of that one of the groups that had this supposed Nabhaz dog barker evil demon deity were the Zabians and couldn't help but notice Zabian is like a one letter off anagram for Zaniac. Uh, the Argonauts who Argo that's arc A R G A R K C and G switch the, they actually, the Argonauts, the Greek, a Greek version of the arc story, they battle the Sinocephaly dog headed dudes. They actually get in a battle with dog-headed dudes. Have to get off their their bark and fight the dogheads. I think this is all somehow like a reference, or a it grows out of the ancient Etruscan cult that worships Ate or Ada, the proto Hades deity who had a wolf's head. Uh, that's who is shown here, right? The wolf head. These priests wore wolf's heads as hoods and skins, and they robbed people for their living, according to, you know, what is said about them. Uh, it's a long ass time ago. Who knows? Another connection, though, between the dog and the head the, or wearing a wolf's head as a helmet is the Greek word for helmet is coon, which is basically the same word as the Greek word for dog. Kion, coon, kion. It's like the same word. There's, and that's almost the same word as Cohen, which is a word that means priest or king and dog. So there's so much with this. <laughs> I'm going to just stop for a minute and let Gabe get in. Hold on. There I am. Am I on? Okay. Dude, so much gravy here. So much on offer. Uh, yes, the Christopher uh, Columbus spell. Uh, turns out, you know, Canis, I think it's Canis Major, is next to the Dove that is next to the Argo, the ship. Christopher Columbus's name is Coterminal Constellations right there, uh, which we've woven, woven on before. And, and apparently this dog-headed Christopher was a giant, so he could wade across waters. But I want to highlight the car that you captured and the headlights of it. Those headlights are going to be correspondent to what I've discovered on the Emperor card. This episode is called Breaking Brad. Breaking Brad. Well, it's also the uh, Bark King. This is the Bark King Brad. And he is wearing the, uh, the ogre color, the ochre that is harvested from the uh, from the wood that these that the picks used to use to change their skin color for various reasons but look at the headlights of this car 
because that is the design of the two orbs on the uh, Emperor card. And uh, in a minute, uh, the thing that has gotten me is that is also the anatomy of the cicada. This is the face of a cicada. You think you're looking at a car? I'm here to tell you this is going to buzz your ego later. Uh, it already has because of uh, uh, Brad is essentially an amalgamation of all the things Donald Trump on a Lolita Express uh, flight log list on some I sex island that is basically from Oliver Oliver Twist Laputa floating of. Uh, um, idealism and we'll just say that that there's a utopia floating island where they all retire to and we end like a locust is correspondent to what I'm about to show can you uh, will you pull up the one I said oh man we're when having he gets out of the car he strikes the pose and he is we're we're getting too choppy we're, man uh, I think I need to take take the mic Donald for Trump for flow purposes. Choppiness like is Don not not working. We're uh, we're getting like spurts of of you and then blat and then back and then blat. So uh, not sure what to do about that. Um, is there somewhere else you could try to move to? I don't know. I want you to be here, but I don't want to uh, have a a bad quality conversation. That's if I can't understand, if I can't make it out, then it's it's too far gone. You know what I mean? And because uh, I'm a professional at making out what Gabe says, so I'm sorry, man. Um, you you have any ideas of what like what you can do? I'm not sure. I could back out and come back, but it is rush hour. Uh, how am I now? It's a little. Seems okay. It just comes and goes. Gets crazy sometimes. No, that bad. Damn. Damn. Hmm. Oh, killing me. <laughs> All right. I'll look. I'll back out and come back in. Maybe. Maybe I'll try the phone again. Maybe try like a different part of the room. Closer to the 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 where your internet's broadcasting from. Move closer to the router. That's what I think. I know you want to be next to the zebra, but can you maybe go somewhere else <laughs> away from the zebra? Yeah. I'll try. Yeah, I'll see if that out. works. I'll come back in a minute. Okay, cool. So <laughs> beyond language, great weave here. General Docs is who Brad X5 is working for. And Docs could be dogs, gen general of the dogs, the dog tags. <laughs> Supposedly the uh, dark occultists refer to the military as their dogs. It makes sense. So I will just kind of plug along. Hopefully we get Gabe back. Sorry about that, everybody. It's one of these days we'll be done with the, with all these uh, tech problems. But here we go. We see Brad for the first time in this episode. I mean, we had had him in previous episodes as hunter x5 but now he's a whole different guy he's uh he's glorious <laughs> this is a 37 word bet cough bov dollars hey 
37, glorious. He's, you know, this word glorious, the context comes from Psalms 45, 13. The king's daughter is all glorious within. Her clothing is of wrought gold. And this shot, the color grading, everything's very much in this gold orange type of uh, color scheme. And I think this is why Gabe was calling our character Brad here, orange man, Brad. And I think he's got a lot of really good uh, weaves once we can get him back in about the emperor card being really important to this episode and representing this character, which I totally see that he's posing like a statesman or a senator. <laughs> and I, you know, just on offer as a possibility, there's the demon King Belial who bestows senatorships. That's one of his qualities in Goetian magic. I feel like he's basically like working for Belial. <laughs> he's got a senatorship. I wonder if this uh, Gematria connection between the high priestess card and Belial is suggesting some kind of a female order, female Illuminati that's behind the scenes of the public male power holders. I honestly wouldn't doubt that. This is a Augustus statue here on the left. <clears throat> And so there's this whole thread in this part of the show of the deal with the devil for fame. Uh, it's not like explicitly stated, but yeah, Dylan points out the name Belial is literally the God Bali. That's true. Yes. It's a you know, classic fragmentation of, of linguistic fragmentation of one concept into a bunch of different variations that are all really the same thing. So, yeah, he's Brad's talking to these reporters. They're asking him, how does he feel about his meteoric rise to fame? Anytime you get a meteoric rise to fame, you should be someone or someone gives a meteoric rise to fame. You should be alarmed about them. It's not easy to gain notoriety, even when you're really good at something. So it's a, definitely a sign of a deal with the devil, so to speak. And then this guy asks him, uh, about Bridget Bardot, who's a famous actress in the seventies. We're about to talk about. And he's like this, Brad says that stays in the vault. You know, I'm not going to talk about that. I wonder if the vault means we're getting astrotheological since the vault, the vault of heaven is one of the things they call the, the dome above. Um, and look at this, look at this face of this woman here. We're going to talk about why that is, but for now, I just want you to have like a WTF with me. Why is this weird face being made by whoever this, you know, fancy highfalutin socialite is? So, yeah, we're, that stays in the vault. We're getting astrotheological. theological. So how about Bridget Bardot? Is she a modern resonance to ancient myth? Well, turns out she is. Bridget on Marie, Anne Marie. Bordeaux is often referred to by her initials BB, <laughs> which I, I don't know. I think that's kind of a high priestess thing, but she's a French animal rights activist and a former actress. All right. We got Gabe back. How's that? Hmm. Keep say more. Cheeky check. Wiggy, wick, 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 wick. How am I doing? There's, hot dogs. there's some of that voice changer thing going on. Do you have earbuds? Do the earbuds. 
that's going to, that's going to sort us out. We're going to be all set. Cause I'm hearing myself feedback. I don't want that. <laughs> uh, yeah, Dylan cap of Liberia on this statue. Wait till you hear what, what, why I have these photos here. So, okay. Bridget Anne Marie Bardo, French animal rights activist, former actress, singer, model. She's famous for portraying sexually emancipated characters. <laughs> the funny thing that people don't understand about the word emancipated is in law, that's basically the same word as franchise, like a corporate franchise. So she is famous for her sexual being sexually franchised out. <laughs> uh, her characters in film often were hedonistic women. Uh, she was one of the best known female activists of the sexual revolution between the fifties and seventies. She's also been a controversial figure as of November, 2021, having been fined for inciting racial hatred by criticizing immigration and Islam in France. And she called the residents savages who are the immigrants savages. I wonder about that. Uh, all right, Gabe, let's hear you. How's that better? No, no, we need you to plug in like manually plug in some headphones that have a mic attached to them. Cause you're still getting, <laughs> we're still getting the whole uh, voice changer effect. So I think that's the only way that it's going to work out off the phone. Is there something going on with your mic on the phone? That's weird. Sorry, dude. <laughs> Got to be real about it. Uh, okay. So this is where it gets really wild. All right. From 69 to 68, Bardo became the official face of Mary Ann. And Mary Ann is previously an anonymously depicted, uh, you know, goddess of liberty and justice. It's, it's literally the lady of Lady Justice, Lady Liberty for France. That's what they called that figure or goddess. So not to mention her middle name is Anne Marie and Mary Ann is this French version of, you know, the adjustment card, the, the Lady Justice goddess. So she's doing all this sexual revolution and all that and, and activism. This chick was literally lady social justice. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't like, that's hilarious to me. He's lady social justice, which is very much about moving the Overton window and controlling the sacred timeline. Big time, big time. So these are the things that happen when you look into like Bridget Bardot, <laughs> just a quick little off reference. Uh, then Mobius and, and Loki show up. Uh, <coughs> actually X five hasn't seen Loki yet. X five is surprised by Mobius's appearance. And, and then Loki shows up and, X5 is trying to act all jovial and friendly. He's like, you want a drink? What are y'all drinking? I'm drinking some ginger mango honey lemon tea. It's a whole lot going on. It's really good. But Loki, he's changed. You know, he's the straight man now. He no longer drinks. He does not take a whiskey from X5. Uh, but he acts like he's going to go get them a drink. And <laughs> Mobius is cool with it. He's like, it's Okay to have a drink while we're down here because we're still working. And I wanted to point out this tickets booth, the word tickets. So, cause it actually has a connection to Zion that you might not expect. Uh, being that they're in a high society shindig etiquette has to be followed. 
And the word ticket actually does come from the same word as etiquette, which is a French word. Uh, Loki, <laughs> he had trouble with the etiquette in the first episode of the show way back in season one when he was told to take a ticket. And um, this word etiquette that we now use to refer to a bill, a note, a label, a ticket, etc. Uh, in French, anyway, they used it that way. It comes from either the old French Estaquer, which is to attach or to stick something, uh, or the Picard language of that's like an old Gaulish offshoot, probably closer, potentially closer to like whatever the original uh, Celtic languages were. The Picard language word Estaquer means to stick or to pierce. So there you go. A ticket is a piercing weapon. <laughs> He's in. And it really is in law. I mean, you get a ticket, they're like, they're, they're taking a shot at you with a ticket. See what they can get, bleed you. Uh, then we find out Brad is running. Is he running now? He is running. Brad Wolf. He's running. Anybody have any thoughts about that? Latin for wolf is lupus. And the wolf is called lupus because of its excellence at running. And that that word root, it attaches to the idea of running in other languages, too. Like Dutch, lupin means to run. <laughs> we just saw a sexually liberated social justice goddess. <laughs> and in Latin, the slang word for a prostitute was lupa, a female wolf. And later in English, particularly the 19th century, men were who were sexually aggressive, like the Zaniac. They were referred to as wolves. Brad Wolf is clearly lusty for his licentious life. Tickets can mean license. There's actually multiple references in this episode to Brad Wolf and running. Because uh, wolf and running, those concepts go together. It's a language joke. In mythology, Loki is obviously heavily associated with wolves. His mother is Laufey. Uh, well, actually, more important is probably that he's the father of Fenrir, the wolf that consumes Odin during Ragnarok. That's a pretty big deal. So Loki's a father of a wolf, but his mother, Laufey, if you do the, the F to P swap, you could totally land on the word loop. Lauf, loop, it's the same thing. The mother wolf archetype is, is very common with mercurial figures like uh, Romulus and Remus, for example. Alternatively, you could think of Laufey as Leafy, Loki Leafy son, born of a tree, very much like Adonis born of a seed that fell off of his his mother Mary, Mira, who had become a myrrh tree. There's <laughs> hopefully this all makes sense. I feel like I'm just throwing a lot at you guys, but uh, it's fun to me. So B15 uh shows up in the alleyway and as uh, Brad is out there having ditched Loki and Mobius, he's checking his Timpad phone and B-15 comes up. She pretends to be a fan asking for an autograph and then she mugs him. I think it's very racist of Disney to have her steal his phone like that. It's very racist. <laughs> we see we see uh, B-15 in season one that. She's a highly armored and a heart like hardened order follower in season two. Her costumes are getting progressively more vulnerable and soft, which I th find interesting. Uh, she still uses the, she still uses the traditional TVA tactics 
of entrapping her target with the name. Cause she's like, she calls out his name basically. And, uh, her request or she requests his autograph. That's what it was. Yeah. She requests his autograph and that's how she sneak attacks him. So you see what I mean? Like the autograph, the sign, sign nature, (laughs) signature. She's asking for that. That's the TVA tactic. That's the government tactic. It's the, the name sorcery. Totally. It's the entrapment. And the, the, wish Gabe was here for this. I hope he's, Oh, he is watching. Okay, man. Yeah. want to get you back in here. Can you like move the laptop close to your router? Do something. We need you. Don't make, don't make me do this alone. I can, I can, but get back in here, Gabe. You're, it's fun to have you. This one though, I'm really proud of this one because uh, at this point, uh, Brad starts running. His wolf starts looping, and a lot is flying by in the scenery as he's as he's running. And if you just pause at the right moment, you see first of all, there's this truck with uh, the number six thousand seventy four PG on it, and then back in the very back, there's a very sneaky square root symbol, and so what is what is going on here? I, I did some puzzling and for my first instinct was to take the 6,074 and just square root it. And what do you, what do you know? You actually get 77 when you do that. It's actually 77.9. It's a big repeating decimal, but you get 77 and that's 1977 in this scene. So like that tells me there's, there's something up with that. That square root symbol is not an accident. If you add up the number letter combo here, six plus seven plus four, and then you take the P as a pay, which is 80, and the, the th- G as a three uh, for Gimel, that equals 100. And in Hebrew, Gematria 100, one of the words is a contest, an exertion. There's a quarrel or strife. That's exactly what's going on here. They're running. <laughs> they're, they're having a, a running contest. But if you square root 100, the square root of 100 is 10. And... uh there you go. Zion, Aleph, Bet, Z-A-B, a wolf is 10. Unbelievable. <laughs> Unbelievable. And the square root of this, this number, if you add the letters as numbers, uh, being 10, 10 is the letter Yod, which means hand. And there's like a hand. The closest thing to the square root symbol is a hand. This is an amazing number riddle here. Uh, <laughs> not to mention uh, the two cards I chose to analyze in this episode, the High Priestess. And the lovers, that's Gimel and Zion, three and seven. You add that together, you get 10 again. Uh, or consider the seven and three as the 73, the numeric, you know, put together, that's the numerical value of the Gimel spelled out. Uh, I just think when I see this 6,074 in a square root symbol and I get the, the year that they're set the scene in, 77, and I get the wolf and the contest and the strife out of it too. I just wonder like how much of this is intentional and how much of this is something coming through the creative process and talking to us through, through the creative process of this group of people who made the show or, you know, I'm not going to lie. I, I sometimes when I'm decoding this, I wonder, did they use AI to, to generate some of this plot or some of this, I don't know, uh, sets and stuff. It's, it's, when you go into the documentaries about the making of this show, it seems like they were really keen to make their own sets. And (laughs) that makes me 
want to rule out that there's like AI generated symbolism, but I don't know how a human being or even a group of human beings could come up with all of this internally consistent stuff that fits all together, like hand in glove the way, you know, especially with these weird number riddles. It's really weird. I see Gabe is, it's trying to join again. Cross my fingers. We want you here. Come on, buddy. All right. All right. New location. How you doing? Looking stern. Can't hear you yet. Thinking about it. Come on, Gabe. All right. Dylan says it's definitely not happening in the writer's room. It's it's maybe just divine synchronicity. I don't want to give it to AI. Okay. Well, we'll we'll see if Gabe is is really here in a moment. <laughs> so anyway, he's continuing to run by and as he passes by this chick, she's making a weird O face as well. So just in a few minutes of the episode, we're seeing these multiple weirdly suggestive facial expressions, seeming like lusty facial expressions from the extras, the female extras. I think these are the uh, the lupas, the Latin slang for prostitute. And Brad's got the wolfish lust. Uh, I totally think so. Um, and I think that's an expression of the lover's card, too. Like all of these like lusty extras facial expressions going on. All right, Gabe, you, you good? You look good. You try to talk, buddy? Try to talk to us? We all want to hear your thoughts on all these things I just put out there. You can do it. <laughs> okay, just looking stern. All right, I'm going to keep pushing on. There's so much to talk about. It's probably, like, I have nine pages of notes, so it's probably somewhat fortuitous for me to just talk and, and get through it because there's so much. Uh, so Mobius catches up to him. Come on, Mobius. You're going to ruin my life here, he says. The TVA is trying to run his life, run and ruin. He's a TVA star, which means he's on the controller's leash like any other TV stars. Uh, then Loki comes in the scene, blasts him. He falls backwards between two pillars. Right, the uh, high priestess representing the keeper of secrets and mysteries. Brad is akin to that archetype because he's got the secret knowledge that is needed that Loki and Mobius need. It's another example here too of the falling back on the ass that seems to happen in like every episode of this show for some reason. And this is weird. Okay, so where he lands. There's a lot of stuff going on. First of all, first thing you might notice is the 52 down here. 52 is, of course, the number of weeks in a year. The high priestess in the Torah, uh, the, that's, you know, the high priestess, one of the secrets she's guarding is the secret of the cycle of the year. But also in the in biblical gematria, 52 is heavily associated with the character Caleb. And Caleb was a spy sent by Moses to do some reconnaissance in Canaan. And obviously Brad is a spy in, in this part of the show. He was a spy sent to find Sylvie. Also, Caleb <laughs> means dog in Hebrew, and he's Brad Wolf. So a 
a spy and a dog in the same character, uh, in the same number. Interesting. But wait, there's more. Strand Lane is what you see on the sign in the back here. It's famous in London. Strand Lane is famous for having an old Roman bathhouse. It's at Strand Lane and number 33 Surrey Street. The baths, the Roman baths, were definitely a place that the politicians and nobles would be convening and a lot of spying would probably be done there as well. Plus the, uh, you know, your wolfish sexual perversions are are probably a thing going on at bathhouses. And I, I believe that we see that symbolized by the dirty back alley mattress here. It's probably the same one Joe Rogan uses when he goes to London. That exact back alley mattress. And there's actually a dumpster. You just can't see it in the shot. There's a, <laughs> there's also, uh, Jennifer pointed this out to me. There's a, a phrase, go to the mattresses. That I guess is like an Italian mafioso phrase. It's about, or it's from like the Godfather or something, which is about preparing for battle or going to war. And that's kind of what Loki and Brad are about to do, right? They're, they're doing battle. They're having a war. <laughs> Sorry, Rachel, about the, the gross joke about the mattress. Uh, <laughs> uh now, this is nuts. Brad gets up, he starts running, and he almost gets hit by this black truck. And this truck says Miller and King on it. So, first of all, what's the Hebrew word for Miller? It's Sadi, Vav, Chet, Nun. And it equals 73. Hey, got a 73. It's a hit, direct hit. Miller and King. King. You know, that would be enough if it was just Miller, but King is also coming from that word Kahan or Cohen, which is the Hebrew word for priest, but also dog. <laughs> so we, uh, yeah, exactly, Dylan, Kingmaker. <laughs> so there was a, a mail and a mail truck in the last episode. It was a big deal. But when you think about the word Miller, it's basically the exact same as the word mailer, and it's a black truck. Are you getting it? Are you getting it? Black Mailer of Kings, a.k.a. AKA the spies and the priestarchy. They've got the rulers in their pockets and the celebrities, too, via blackmail that they have on them. He's almost killed by the blackmail truck. You see, you see, there's a whole lot going on here that you might, you know, you just watch the show and you wouldn't notice, but that they're telling you about the the blackmail culture and the deals with the devil that get people into their meteoric rise to fame. Like this character, it's a big, it's a big one. Blackmailer of Kings. That blew my mind that they not only put that in there, but then it's a like word Miller that is uh 73 in Hebrew, the Hebrew version of that word. It's like, how is there so many levels of consistency here? It's crazy. It's really crazy. <laughs> I liked that one, though. Really liked that. Uh, then, okay, in this shot, we have this chase scene continues. It really reminds me of uh, the chase at the end of the first Matrix movie where Smith and Neo are having their chase down in, like, the the subway scene and all that. Kind of has, like, the same visual quality to it. Lost my notes. Okay, here we go. Um, then, <laughs> then Loki's like, come on, I cornered you at the fence. You think you can get away from me? There's no way you can get away from me. 
Well, actually, Brad then uh, blips himself out at the fence. Um, he hits his temp pad, though, and he blips himself back to where he was before, back at the, uh, the, the alleyway with the mattress. Since the temp pad is basically like the cell phone, I wonder if this, like, return, looping back to where he was. Remember, looping means run, and he's using the temp pad to loop back to where he was. I wonder if this uh, represents the back button, you know, like this is a modern cell phone technological thing, like the internet thing, the ability to loop back to where we were and avoid confronting that, which we weren't ready to confront or don't want to confront (laughs) an American werewolf in London. Totally. (laughs) Uh, Gabe says more Messier marathon, Olympic psychic crop dusting race bait quota. Uh, okay next slide oh this is I'm sorry for this but I was thinking about how Brad blips himself out at the fence see he was cornered in this fence so I started thinking about fences generally speaking I found the Hebrew word for fence is GDR Gimel Dalat Resh and that made me wonder well okay let's flip those letters around what's DGR it's a dagger DGR in Hebrew, Dalat Gemel Rush is a dagger. Same thing as uh, the English spelling, basically. But thinking about the 52 that we just saw and Brad as a dog, I somehow just wound up on a Wikipedia page for something called dogging. Sorry, the British slang for having or watching someone else having sex in public. It's a slang trend that allegedly began back in the 70s which is where we're set in this scene. And when you think about the black male truck and the meteoric rise to fame, Brad just had the weird sex faces from the extras and how Brad's sex life is made public by being a celebrity, which you notice when the reporter asks him about Bridget Bardot, Brad is definitely dogging. (laughs) Celebrities are dogs to their agents and masters. Their sex life becomes voyeuristic through the tabloids reporting on it. You know what I mean? Like you see this, the shadow of the lovers card, the, the celebrities lovers. If you're a celebrity, your lovers become a Zion, the letter on the lovers card, which means a weapon and also can mean a pe- It also can mean penis. So it basically for the celebrity, their own Zion, their own penis is a weapon against themselves. Totally. Dogging. It's a, it's apparently a real problem. I, I, I guess. Whew. Then uh, Brad, he's looped back to the, you know, the dirty dumpster in the back alley. He runs the other direction. He comes to a street where there's a group of punk rockers and they surround him and begin taunting him. We clearly see a 59 above the doorway. 59. This is the 59 of Akim, which means brotherhood, countrymen, fraternity. It's a word that is also used in connection with the offspring of Samael and Lilith. So, you know, it's like a corrupt brotherhood, a fallen brotherhood. So Brad, he's, he's very alarmed by these, these punks that are uh, surrounding him and taunting him. So he picks up a Zion, a weapon in the form of a pipe. Zion also <laughs> meaning penis and it's a tube, you know. 
So basically, Brad is now swinging his dick in front of a large group of people. He's totally dogging. So it turned out to be correct when it somehow landed on the Wikipedia page for dogging. Luckily, it's Wikipedia. There's nothing graphic other than, you know, the descriptions. I feel like I got to pay that away. Uh, but then Brad, he, he swings his uh, Zion, he takes a swing, and his pipe goes right through the guy. And it's this point that it dawns on him that the entire punk rock scene, the entire punk rock scene is an illusion. No way. And if you remember all that stuff that's going on in England in 77, the clash, the sex pistols, um, the uh, the fake the fake arrests of, I think it's the Sex Pistols where they are having a show. It might have been The Clash. It's one of these. I didn't care. I never liked punk stuff. But they're, you know, they're this de facto uh, counterculture. They're, they're presented as like an authentic counterculture. They're played on the pirate radio stations and all that. But it's all complete Tavistock creation. It's all completely social engineering stuff. And, you know, the British invasion that hits the United States, all of that. All, all these hugely influential punk bands were, were having their rise to power, their meteoric rise, probably blackmailed and everything, too, to keep them on their leash in the year 1977, where the scene is set. And now we see in this allegory that Loki, who is basically the representative or in a, in a lot of ways, he's now the leader of the TVA, maybe not officially on paper, but they're all following his lead. Loki, the leader of the TVA. The Tavi stock, the TV, was the creator of the punk illusion. <laughs> punk rock, as many other pseudo counterculture movements since then have been, is a Tavistock construct, another control mechanism. Womp womp. <laughs> Letting you know, this is all fake. <laughs> uh, then Brad gets cornered by Loki. And the spotlight highlights him with the graffiti behind saying, less is enough. Less is enough. This is the core message of all the climate and environment activism, mind control stuff going on in the news media, spinning around, gaining so much steam in the late 70s, you know, leading us to the modern version. You'll own nothing and you'll be happy. It's the same thing. <laughs> uh I have to wonder if these are gypsies in this caravan too, you know, living in a back alley in a caravan. That's a very gypsy move. Uh, didn't really think about it that much till just now. Then after, yeah, then we, we get this shot where we see that the, the two Loki copies that are closing in on him, they cast shadows on the wall and the shadows grow horns, which is really in effect just for us or maybe for Mobius to see because Brad isn't looking at the shadows, the horns, they have many layers of symbolism to them. Many, many layers, way too much to try to unpack the symbolism of horns. But in context with the less is enough message, we're definitely seeing the shadow of the cornucopia idea, the horn of plenty. Uh, the horn is also, the horns are also particularly associated with the Egyptian God Amen, the hidden one who the Greeks syncretized to be a version of Zeus. But in this context, Loki is the hidden one in the scene because Brad doesn't know which, if any, of the Lokis in front of him are real and not just illusions. Looking at the chat. You guys are saying great stuff. I'll try to comment more on your guys' weaves. Keep throwing them out there. They're, you guys are crushing it. 
Um, you see also these half crescent horns are on the high priestess card as well, not just on Loki. Uh, got a voice message from Gabe. Is this to play on the air, Gabe? Because I could do that. Uh, or should I listen to this after? Let me know in the chat, assuming you're still here. <laughs> then we get the shot, the reverse shot. Okay. This voice message is for the show. Okay, cool. Give me a moment, guys. Bear with me. We'll put Gabe on the air. I'm, yeah, I'm really sorry about the, the lameness of the tech problems. I, I want to fix it. If I was where you're at, I could have you set up. I totally, I'm good at IT stuff. I always just make the mistake of assuming that we're all set before we stream and should, you know, should have got with you earlier to try to iron it out. Uh, I even sent him a Wi-Fi booster that theoretically should be rectifying the whole issue, but we're not quite there yet. So Gabe's got a couple minute voice message for us here. I'm sure he's just bursting at the seams. So I've been putting so much gravy on the table. And all right, let me just make his voice clip a little louder. I'm in my audio editing software here because I have to save it from Telegram and then save it to a format that StreamYard can play. So easy peasy. I can talk and do this process at the same time. Okay. Thank you, everybody. You know, I get nervous when there's not just a seamless flow of absolute gravy. I feel like I can't leave gaps or pauses, but you guys are cool with it. All right. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay, I saved it the wrong way. It's too large. Got to redo that as an MP3. Uno momento. Tried to do it as a wave. Okay. We this is live streaming everybody. <laughs> and okay, this ought to work. Uploading Gabe's voice message. <laughs> Rachel, thanks for the super chat earlier. You are a champion. PK says he made a call. He got the internet sorted. Get back on here, Gabe. <laughs> uh, we totally do want you here. All right. This is Gabe's voice message. All right. I'm going to try to send a sound bite to weave on Brad versus the Pandemos. He's fighting the Demos. The democracy of the laughing philosopher, Democritus, is the weapon against the individual. And so Brad's swinging the emperor's scepter in against these shadows and illusions is the spell against the individual. He is fighting the demos, the, uh, the mob. This is literally the mob that democracy is based upon. And psychically, uh, it really is just shadows on the wall. Uh, but we all agree to... Uh, uh, swing blindly in that cave. So uh, Brad is absolutely the emperor card, and this is the Bray King Brad episode. So he is the emperor. Um, and one other thing, when he gets tortured, 
the face he makes repeatedly when he gets grabbed or snagged or uh, restrained, it is the face that Da Vinci carved um, famously, the face of uh, lustful agony, um, which goes back to the uh, bathing pool in uh, La Reine Le Chateau that has Asmodeus's uh, baptismal pool. And so the face that Brad keeps making is a hail back to the Merovingian, uh, the twelfth Merovingian uh, high priest uh, was Da Vinci, and his drawing of agony is perpetually put on the face of Brad over and over. So if you look at some of my graphics, this is all embodied in the high, in the Emperor card. And I just want to remind everybody that this is all was also Han Solo when he got tortured by um, uh, Boba Fett and Darth Vader. The torture of it all is so powerful. Um, so yeah, there's a strong torture weave to this emperor, and I think that the cicadas are going to be also part of what has been seeded and embedded into our psyche, uh, so that the sounds of these invasive species will uh, provoke people into, uh, yeah, uh, it's basically shaking the ant jar, and the ants didn't care about which ant was which until the jar got shook, and then they start eating each other instead of asking each other, who the fuck just shook this jar? All right. Good stuff, man. This is a really good point, too, about the... Uh... Brad versus the collective, the individual versus the collective. And that's the, the great weapon that is iron E, you know, the Mars association with the emperor card, the weapon of irony is that the punk rocker movement, they think that they're the anti-establishment. They think they're the non-conformists, right? You're such a conformist, but all these guys are like conforming and, <laughs> Acting as a, a collective, it's very ironic. And uh, they see the guy who's done what he had to do to reach to the top to attain some sort of level of like rulership or power, and they want to just tear him down when he's already gone through hell in a handbasket and had to compromise himself a bunch of different ways just to get to the position where he's at to try to entertain their asses. So it's uh, the collective versus the the individual. It's a big. That's a big one. Nice, nice weave, Gabe. Nice weave. Uh, going on to this shot was where we left off. So Loki's got him cornered. Again, the collective versus the individual. These Lokis are all copies of each other. I mean, couldn't be more of a metaphor for collectivism. Really awesome. Uh, the, the Okay, where, where was I my notes? Oh, yeah. So season one of Loki was all about... Wow, punk originally meant prostitute, Micmac? Is that true? Is that true? Because there's Lupa, pr prostitute. Wow, that's good stuff, man. Okay. The uh, season one of Loki, though, was about deconstructing Loki's identity as a lowercase g god. Season two is about his rebirth and journey to become the capital G god. So it is quite appropriate that he's shown here as three that are one. A trinity. There's also a sofa in the background. The sofa is symbolic of his position as the sofa reign, the sovereign of the TVA. 
you know, the king or he, he sits and makes decrees from the sofa. The sofa in the background is symbolic of that. And also because he has the sophos or wisdom to lead the TVA. And then, Gabe, this is why one of the things I really wanted to get from you was like, why? Um, why were you bringing up Zen and the art of motorcycle maintenance in previous in a previous show? I can't remember where you found that in the Loki series or if it was just sort of a, a free association you were making. But there is the spotlight that's on Brad is from a motorcycle that there's no one there. It's just on and the spotlight is illuminating Brad. It's probably something to do with that whole Zen and the art of motorcycle maintenance thing that that Mobius relates to, according to Gabe. Um, I mean, Loki is having his in moment here. This whole caper was a total flow state of mischief for him. Absolutely. Uh, and then when we see Mobius in a moment, he's positioned like in front of the motorcycle. Then the shadows on the wall, they become very real. Uh, the vision illusion of it all. That's a 21 actually at Diane Vav. The, Hebrew word that refers to the forming of visions, it can be used in context with prophecy, right? But it can also mean as illusions. So it can kind of go either way. And after, after uh, to quote the book of Daniel, chapter 7, verse 7, I grabbed because it has this word in it and it's, you know, seven chapter 7, verse 7, 1977. This verse from Daniel, it says, After I saw in the night visions, and beheld a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, and strong exceedingly, and it had great iron teeth. It devoured and brake in pieces, breaking brad, and stamped the residue with the feet of it, and it was diverse from all the beasts that were before it. And diverse in this context means different. And it had ten horns. <laughs> Mobius comes in. A little over the top, don't you think? All the shadow play. Loki says, I think it was spot on. So as Loki is now basically the chief of the TVA, and the TVA are the archons of reality, Loki is symbolically now the force who can cast the shadows on the wall. The Plato's cave metaphor. Calling it a shadow play is actually very appropriate to the TVA being a metaphor for the TV. The ancient priesthood... They gave the people their doctrines via the theater. One of the oldest ways of doing that was the shadow play using puppets, the TV before TV. And according to scholars, the development of shadow theater actually uses techniques that directly evolve into cinematography. So there's <laughs> other like the Gnostic, the matrix aspect of all this, the shadow shadows on the wall, uh, and the TV evolution of shadow puppetry. I find it so fascinating how many ways that thinking about the TVA as being TV itself has tons, bears tons of fruit. It really does. It's great stuff. Then, <laughs> then Brad is captured. He's brought into uh, the TVA as a prisoner. He's wearing a collar, just like a doggo. Good for you, buddy. <laughs> and then, uh, He's brought to his containment cell. This one. This is this one. Oh, man. He's brought to his containment cell, which is labeled CCC 073. 
73, the value of the letter Gimel spelled out GML. The letter 70 or number 73, the high priestess card Gimel. C is also G in philology, right? G being the third letter in the original alphabet systems. So this CCC is kind of also like a GGG. Interesting. The There's definitely a mystery here between the high priestess and the lover's cards because Zion, the seventh letter of the old alphabets, the Z, is uh, after C is introduced, the Z gets booted all the way to the back of the alphabet and gets replaced, and the seventh letter becomes G. So G was originally the third letter, and then it's the seventh letter, three to seven. Hmm. That's weird. And I think we might have another voice message from Gabe to drop some more. <laughs> you guys, let me know. <laughs> you want to hear from Gabe again? I know you do. I know you do. Let's see what he's got to tack on. <laughs> it's, uh, I'm sure it's quite an exercise, Gabe, to uh, try to condense your thoughts into a more smaller soundbite. I appreciate you doing that. All right, just gonna, I'm gonna try not putting it through my audio editor and see if it's just good like it is. So we're about to try it. Ah, awesome. I think it's gonna work. Oh, error. <laughs> just kidding. All right. Gotta resave it as a wave or a MP3. Good thing I have a fast computer though. You guys don't even know the hurdles I go through for you. Do you know that Disney Plus bumps their streaming to 720p on computers and has something built into the soft the streamer browser software that you can't take screenshots of anything that's on the screen or screen capture any of it. But I found out a, a workaround so I can still get these screenshots. And uh, it was a pain. It was a pain in the ass a little bit to figure it out, but not so hard now that I I know what to do. But that's the things I do for you, so that we can have these fun shows. And now I'm uploading Gabe's next weave. All right, dude, you asked the best question. Zen and the art of motorcycle maintenance is a touchstone cultural hypochorismic. Um. Uh, swallowing of the pill. Okay. Hypochorism is where a word loses its original meaning or gets the meaning reversed. Okay. So that's just so you guys know what he's talking about there. (laughs) All right. Normalizing psychedelics. Boom. Shakalaka. Normalizing psychedelics and the psychedelics are going to become a prosthetic limb. You think that if they put the phone up your ass and you'll be satisfied? No, 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 no. That phone is going to need some Aldous Huxley uh, Lotus potion. So not only is the phone going to go up your ass, it's going to have medicine that injects you when you ask for it. So you can see what they want you to hallucinate about even more clearly than you already do. It's going up your Procyon. The phone is going to go up your Procyon and it's going to have all the telesphorus medicine uh, to make sure 
that you are seeing what you are told to see, and you signed on for it. The prosthetic limb of your wallet has become the prosthetic limb of your phone, and in culture, they are uh, corresponding the psychedelics of the bicycle in the segways and all these go-in-between prosthetic limbs that make you homo technologists. They are going to put that wherever they want to, and you will like it. In Star Wars, the scooter crew was the mods. They were the mod DNAs. And they have, like, eyeballs missing, and this is why Rocket Rocket is always taking prosthetic limbs. He is a procyon. Procyon is a uh, uh, raccoon. But he has an obsession with stealing other people's prosthetic limbs. And this joke is going to go too far. It already has gone too far. And they want to put your phone and the drugs you need in your prison wallet. Uh, (laughs) So you asked, buddy. I thought I would tell you. And then uh, this graphic goes with what I'm saying. But in uh, in the Old Testament, there's some character he is asked to explain the Torah while standing on one foot, and it's supposed to be a form of torture. And his response is, that which is hateful to you do not do to your fellow. This is the whole Torah. The best is the explanation. Now go and learn. What's fascinating is this is the Overton window, and this is the Kantian imperative. And if they can make it so that your fellow man doesn't think that it's a bad thing to stick this Procyon telephone drug uh, injection up their ass, then they're going to vote for the rest of the Pandemos to put it up your ass as well. So more butt stuff, I see. Okay. No wonder he is, you know, coming out by the, uh, the old Roman bathhouses. I get it. Man, I love that you use hypocorism. Such a good word. It's good to under, good to have that in your back pocket. There's a trend. I learned this from one of Dylan's books, uh, one of the spirit world books, that hypocorisms are more uh, occurring more often in a culture that's been civil warred. And that's there's evidence of that in the American language as well. But back to this this shot where we have the room behind them, CCC 073. That's his containment cell. It's the (laughs) value of GML spelled out GML. And this is where they want to go into this room and extract Brad's secrets. The, you know, the high priestess card representing secrets. It's important to point out that I did not know this room had a 73 above it when I decided to take a look at this episode through the lens of the high priestess and the, the Gimel. I got an inference like that and I ran with it. And then I find the evidence as I go. And this is a huge confirmation, man. That's a huge confirmation. 73, just right there in the spot where the secrets are being extracted. Couldn't be more uh, pertinent. Then also, Gimel being a word, it has to do with rewards and punishments. He's being confined as a punishment for not giving up his secrets, right? The And the high priestess, the secret high priestess, is also General Docs, General Dogs. 
to whom Brad has a weird lovers-y relationship that we saw briefly in the previous episode. Now, in terms of what's going on on screen, Brad is already running his mouth. He's always running. And he says to Loki, after Loki says that the, uh, you know, those collars, they're always tighter than you think they're going to be, aren't they? Because Loki has worn a collar in, in season one. And <laughs> Brad says, uh, he'll get him. We'll get you a looser collar next time, which is kind of a reference to the fact that he's calling Loki a loser often. Um, and he, in this scene right here, he refuses to tell them what the secret of his modified Tim pad is. He's like jailbroke. It's like jailbreaking the iPhone, right? He's done something to modify it and they don't understand what he's done, which I find fascinating. It might be, uh, an allusion to how, the people using this like surveillance technology or, or peddling it to the world, right? Funding it and getting it out there. Nobody knows how this thing works. The, the, the cell phone. I, no one's ever explained to me how this thing works. I've never seen, I've never even seen an option for me to go learn about it. Like what, <laughs> you know, these things are magic. So the guys that are in charge of the TVA, they have no idea how the technology works that they're using to do their control and surveillance. That I find interesting. There are a couple of characters in the TVA that know how it works. And we're going to see that. But actually, Loki and Mobius now go to see Ouroboros. And they ask Ouroboros, Obi, about the modified Timpad that Brad had. And they go there and they look around and they're puzzled because he seems to be missing. And then as they step forward, they see him behind the arc, uh, the desk that's shaped like an arc. <laughs> like, let me just track my mouse here. You see the crescent moon, the arc shape that he's enclosed within. He's enclosed within the arc. He's working on a device that is meant to save the TVA from temporal meltdown. So he's inside an arc shape and he's working on their salvation. That's what the arc symbolizes, the salvation. Uh, pretty, pretty apparent to me. Then we see... Uh, OB is like, do you think me looking at this tempad is a higher priority than preventing a temporal meltdown? That's kind of just a funny moment. Uh, gotta have your priorities straight. No, keep keep fixing that. <laughs> um, and then OB he says, you know the uh, he's the father of the book. He wrote the Bible. He wrote the TV the TV guide the TVA Bible. But in this in this shot, I got. He's telling them to read the Bible if you want to find out how the technology works. And I got really derailed by the tacos sign. I was trying to figure out if the tacos had any secret meaning. Classic definition of uh, of a taco, at least in Topher Gardarian, Gardner language, right? The taco being the thing that comes in and derails you right in the moment where you're about to have some kind of big epiphany. The hilarious thing about this taco sign is... I was puzzling about this at the very moment that my wife comes home from the grocery store with the stuff to make tacos for dinner. I did not know this was happening. And then I had tacos. Priscilla says, there's so much orange in this episode. There is a lot of orange. It's kind of like a part of the seventies aesthetic. There's so much more orange in the latter half of the episode too. When they get into the McDonald's uh, that might relate to the whole orange man, Brad, <laughs> thing going on. I'm sure Gabe has a lot to say about orange man, Brad, uh, 
possibly some tr- some Trump encodes here that I'm I'm not picking up on. But we'll talk about the tacos in a second. <laughs> uh, they then we get a cut over to a scene where B15 is asking uh, Casey if there's any hits on Renslayer's tempad. They're trying to track Renslayer, and uh, Casey's like, "Whoa, the Renslayer trace." She's like, "Why are you whispering?" Why would tracking her tempad be a secret? She's betrayed the TVA. She's gone rogue. Uh, and I thought that was interesting. Why would tracking people via the tempad be a secret? Is It's like a reference to the fact that the surveillance being done on the whole populace via their cell phones, it's technically a secret, but it's an open secret. Everybody knows it's happening, right? Everyone knows cell phone is happening. Lots of people are employed to manually trace the things that other people are doing on their phones, but we all pretend like it's a secret. Also, we find out Renslayer erased the data from uh, the Tempad, but Casey was able to trace who sent her last message that that she received. Also, Casey says that the extra branches are of the timeline branching are making it like a needle in a haystack to trace Renslayer in the, in the manual method. And I kind of took that as fitting the possibility (laughs) that the branching timelines of the, of the sacred timeline could be a metaphor to the world of cryptocurrency, where there's all these branching currencies that people can theoretically hide their online activities and being traced in the branches, at least for a while. I don't really think that it's a hundred percent uh, I, I don't believe any of those things are hundred uh, percent untraceable, but that's sort of the promise. So you see um, this, this whole thing, this whole thing about the multiverse could very well be a type of metaphor that is describing the splintering um, what they call in cryptocurrency. What do they call it? When a coin uh, splits into two different coins, <laughs> There's all this branching thing that goes on with the with the cryptocurrencies. And before it was all just like the petrodollar, right? So that was the sacred timeline. Now we have the branching. Um oh yeah, and what was the I feel like I had something on the idea of VPNs. I'll just trust that it's later. I see Kabir said something about VPNs. Um but Let's move forward. Okay. <laughs> then we see Loki and uh and Mobius are trying to break they're trying to figure out how to break into this modified tempad that Hunter X5 had. They're referencing section 42 of the TVA handbook. So okay, why 42? This is a uh, more of a Latin situation this time in the Gematria than a Hebrew, but they are reading a book and Latin word for book Liber is 42. Also, the Latin word for the moon, Luna, is 42. We know that there's the moon and the ark, or the bark, meaning ship. And the moon card has the dogs barking at the moon. Uh, Luna, the moon, is associated with silver. And I, this is where I realized, like, maybe this is why the taco sign is there. That the origin story of tacos is that, or at least the myth, the myth of it, is that Silver miners in Mexico created t- tacos. <laughs> like that's where the word comes from or the concept as we eat tacos today. So silver miners. So there's your silver in their moon. Also, Canis, 
the Latin word for dog, is 42. Dogs bark at the moon on the moon card in the arcana, in the major arcana. <laughs> so I think that this taco and the silver and moon stuff in 42, probably just more high priestess connection. There are also a lot of uh, words that equal 42 in Hebrew, going from Latin to Hebrew, that are related to chaos and calamity and confusion, the need for haste, uh, possibility of failure, destruction, etc., that type of thing. And that's what they're having right now. <laughs> they're having trouble focusing. The whole process is too chaotic. And uh, Loki is like, this will help you focus. How about you think about how the pl- the whole place is going to be destroyed if if we don't work out all of this. 42 laws of my at, PK says. That's good. That's good. Okay. There's also... KC and B-15 showing up. They come in. They let the guys, uh, Mobius and Loki, know that Renslayer, that pesky Renslayer, she's being helped by the artificial intelligence Miss Minutes. Miss Minutes, the AI, has the entire repository of the TVA's knowledge. And she's very much like a high priestess in this metaphor. She's got the knowledge. <laughs> she's got the... Uh, the secrets. She's the female Pope. She's partnered with the Hierophant Pope-like guy, the Kang character, the he who remains. The uh, the database that Miss Minutes has is like the Ark of the Covenant. It's it's the the covenant being the pact was forged by Renslayer and and Kang that Loki hears about in the previous episode when he's stuck in the TVA's past. Like the same as the metaphor that the Ark of the Covenant contained tablets. Noah's Ark contains all animal life and either way, either version, it's about preserving information and sending it into the future, which is all a big metaphor for the secret of language, the secret of letters, because that's what written language is. It's about preserving knowledge and sending it into the future. Hmm. And Loki reveals that conversation you heard in the past from he who remains in Renslayer, them being partners. And then, uh, <laughs> Casey offers to analyze the Tempad that Brad had for Loki and Mobius because they're hopeless at trying to reverse engineer it. He affirms that it definitely doesn't block any trackers. So he's like, that's for sure. It definitely doesn't block any trackers. I think this is a wink and a nod to the futility of VPNs, virtual private networks that people uh, used to theoretically block their their being tracked while they're doing online activities. It might even be that the VPNs just raise a flag at what you're doing rather than conceal it. You know, uh, oddly, oddly, while I was typing that out into my notes about the VPNs, my antivirus that also has a VPN program, it popped up on my screen and then it crashed, which I've never seen it do before. It's kind of a a trippy synchronicity. We got another bomb from Gabe. Let's get him in here. Ooh, it's a big one. All right. This will take me just a moment to uh, put it into MP3 form. How you guys doing out there? It's a lot going on. It's a lot. All right. We got a, a solid six and a half minute monologue from... From good old Gabe. That's great. That'll give me a minute to catch my breath and take drink some tea. 
just got to save this beautiful baby as an MP3, and then we're good. It's a couple steps here. Thanks for, thanks for your patience, everyone. All right. Wolves are excellent at tracking. That's a good one, McMack. That is a good one. Is there a wolf statue on the desk? Whoa, you're right. Oh, I missed that. Wow, McMack, you're just crushing it. Check it out. Let me zoom in. There's a wolf on the desk, yo. Wow. And uh, Sky says, are VPNs totally useless? I do not know one way or the other. I have a feeling that it's not what it's advertised to be. That's just my inference. <laughs> I would I would just avoid, um, you know, risky online behavior, VPN or not. That's my advice. I don't know for sure. Okay, let's hear what Gabe's got to say. Micmac, I can't believe I missed that there's a wolf on the desk back here. I was getting a little, you know, a little bit of uh, presentation preparation fatigue. Maybe that's why I didn't catch that. You've got to really keep your eyes open. Those little details in the background, there's constant. PK says they're not useless. Don't listen to me about that. I was just talking shit. I don't know. I, I don't know. But uh, <laughs> they're telling you in this, though, that nothing's blocking trackers, you know, on cell phones. There's a bit, there's a metaphor with this. Maybe it's a admission. Maybe not. And now for Gabriel. All right. I got another weave on the uh, TVA handbook. Uh, something I'm learning a great deal about, and I can maybe uh, try to consolidate as we go forward with the, with the series is that the MacGuffins in this film are saying a great amount. Um, and this TVA handbook is. And then for people not into film uh, lingo, MacGuffins are like objects that are, are often poorly explained. And it's the thing that the characters are fighting over or trying to get that is the solution to their problems or concludes the film whenever the item is found. That's the MacGuffin. It's like a shape-shifting MacGuffin. Depending on who's handing it to who or referring back to it, that becomes their relationship on the Enneagram in terms of their stations. But the fact that there was the taco in the background drew me to research about Delicious Tacos, a, uh, a author and, uh, I think, a cultural uh, shit-stirrer. <laughs> and his book is called Mini. He's written of uh, this one book in particular, The Savage Spear of the Unicorn. And he's basically kind of a uh, men, uh, men's rights uh, advocate. Um, so I think with the taco flash behind this MacGuffin, we have a nod to Delicious Tacos. And Delicious Tacos had an interesting quote that triggered the lover's card and the devil card, which are both uh, loyalists with a shadow of fear. 
By the way, Chance, Fear's name in the angelic realm is Belial. And I could differentiate him from all the other demons in a very powerful way for everybody. But he is the shadow of a number six personality. So a couple of the uh, icons of the number six lover's card is Francois de la Rochefoucauld, who wrote about self-love. And so this is love through a thelemic lens, but he's a godfather of psychology, and his one of his easiest writings is a description of the Enneagram without showing you the map. He's talking about all truths of the Enneagram and not showing you the picture of what he's talking about. If you read his work, it's really easy and approachable. It's very uh, short. So Francois de la Rochefoucauld is a founding figure of uh, psychology. And uh, this character, uh, Delicious Taco, he writes about Francois de la Rochefoucauld very briefly in this famous quote here. And then he also mentions uh, uh, Marxist, black Marxist uh, uh, BLM characters. Let me see. His quote is, I think every class in the night is 90% Foucault and three Black Panther women's essays. Well, the other card in the sixth position has always been uh, B-15. She's bona fide. Her name is B-O-N-I-F-I-D. Bona fide. B-1-5 is bona fide. And she wants the bona fides of loyalty of the academos. Um, so she is the devil card, and Francois de la Rochefoucauld is the lover's card. So this taco being passed is, uh, he quotes, uh, one of his quotes is a hail back to Francois de la Rochefoucauld and, uh, and uh, Black Panther activism as the foundation of education, and that's all they're teaching kids in the uh, you never CIT. You never CIT is university, and it is hail to Ignatius Laolists. These are the number six position, and the devil of number six is Belial. Okay, you can flash this, and maybe zoom in and read some of the quotes if you can, uh, if you can pick out uh, some of what I highlighted. But you'll see at the end, there's a cognitive dissonance where the interviewee, or the, the questioner, he says, has 2020 been good for you, given all of the political and social strife? So right there, it's like, isn't this great how fucked up it is? And then the next thing he says, are you noticing more signs during this time of global angst? These are hail calls to uh, comedy and tragedy. And when they collapse comedy and tragedy, that brings out the manias. When we don't give a fuck about whether it's funny or tragic is when the war can really kick off. And that is what uh, Socrates is talking about at the end of the symposium. He's convincing the comedian and the tragedian to, uh, to suss out the difference between the two. And there is a, it's, not, it's not a conflagration. It is not saying that they are the same. Uh, there's a great mystery here. And I'll give you guys the, the Cliff Notes version, but there's more for each of you if you all care to go and suss this out. Tragedy is a broader category of knowledge that includes under its umbrella the aspects of comedy. However, comedy does not have uh, uh, understanding or mastery over what tragedy is. So when we say theater, it's a broad umbrella. 
but the specifics are that tragedians, they have uh, transcended comedy and they have a higher order of appreciation of the human experience. Comedians have drawn a line in the sand that they can't cross and they're self-limiting. And that is what Socrates is trying to tell them at the end of the symposium. When, when everybody else is falling asleep, Socrates is driving the comedian and the tragedian. They use the word driving. And they become the two horses of the chariot. And the one horse that falls asleep first is the one with the smaller capacity. And that is Aristophanes. He passes out first because he's a comedian. It's the tragedian that has the, the more... Uh, enriched worldview that they can uh, withstand the glimmer, the glamour, the grammar of getting hammered on what Socrates has to teach. And that is why Agathon is the last one to fall asleep. And this is building the ladder to the good. All right. Bless. Really good point. I mean, we're talking about this 1977 seeding the ideas of the sacred timeline comedy and tragedy <laughs> i uh i just laugh kabir relax chance sir strokes a lot was i stroking my beard a lot it's just so it's so soft after i i trimmed it today but gabe you're talking about these the uh the high high powered effect of of the greek tragedies they're is a lot to that. The, uh, the word tragodias or whatever in Greek trag tragoidia <laughs> tragodia. It means basically goat song. It's the same idea as a got spell goat song. That's a real thing. And let me see who said, where is this in my notes? <laughs> this is a separate, these are in separate notes, but somewhere I can't remember where, it who it was. It might've been like Alexander the great or somebody. But I did come across uh, information that a lot of like high importance historical figures, they would have the tragedies of Asclepius or no, um, Aeschylus, right? That guy, one of the Greek tragedians, they would put the, the tragedies under their pillow when they went to sleep at night, which is exactly something that a lot of people still do with other holy scriptures. My point being the Greek tragedies are at a certain point in time, they are treated like, and, and rev there's a reverence to them as if they were Holy scriptures because they are, they are, they are a transcription of the, the star scripture, right? It's astrotheology. So it is like no different than, than a religious scripture of one of the religions we use today. So I'm glad you're talking about the, the tragedies and I see another a quick little follow-up from Gabe. We're gonna put that on. All right. I got one more quick message on uh Casey here. Uh we dropped this in previous episodes, but I just want to remind that uh he signifies the um Hippocratic oath of the Aeon card. And um Many times you will notice that the characters are like in this one, she's B15 says, why are we whispering later in his, uh, in his history? He, uh, literally is shushing people. And then it, uh, I believe the end of one of the episodes, there's a, a dark silence that, uh, just, uh, pervades through this room right here. This, uh, 
this uh, control panel uh, modulation uh, center of the TVA, and that silence is deafening, but that is the symbol, symbolic of the Hippocratic Oath. And this Aeon card is Adriga the Charioteer. It is the volcano, the uh, the bloodline of Hephaestus, the volcano, uh, relating to Erichthonius and um, innovations in uh, in being mobile. Uh, so yes, the Hippocratic Oath and the Shush of the Lips. I'm just going to throw that on the on the table. Uh, and also the pleat of his uh, pen that is bleeding through his uh, his pocket. Uh, that is the telltale indicator that he is absolutely this Aeon card. Uh, going back to our weaves in previous episodes, so I just wanted to put KC on the map for his uh, fingers to the lips, and I also want to. Uh, in modern context, what's fascinating is nobody is taking any oaths anymore. We can't get the judges to prove that they have taken the oath. Uh, we're not privy to whether the mayors are taking their oaths. Are the cops even taking their oaths? When you look into the Hippocratic Oath and what happened to it, it was Rockefellered out in the 60s. And even if you go before they Rockefellered out the oath, it still isn't the kind of oath I would have approved of. So uh, the fact that the oaths have been thrown to the wind a long time ago, that means they're not professors anymore. They're not professional anymore because to profess is to make an oath. And all the oaths have been broken. And what we call the social contract and the civilization is uh, long gone. All right. Well said, yes. I never thought about that, professors and oaths, but that's totally true. You go read what they put in for oaths for uh, you know, doctors in training now. It's definitely not the same thing as what you would hope for. We're almost there. I'm uh, I'm almost done with what I had prepared for tonight. So get a nice, timely, less epically too long of a stream. So that's cool. I wanted to point out, though, this guy, this actor who plays Casey that Gabe was just talking about in the shushing, his name is Eugene Cordero. And the the Latin word cordo, it means the hinge of a door. So it's where the idea of a cardinal, cordo, comes from in Latin. So that the, you know, the priests and priestesses, they're the hinge in the sense of whether or not they open the door to the mystery for you or to the truth for you, that everything hinges on them. Cordo. It's also related to the same word as cardio. Like the, the heart is the hinge that your whole body is swinging on hundred percent. So his name Cordero is like Cordo and Cordo. Why I even thought of that is a, is a 37 in Latin gematria. So there's a, Potentially a connection to the high priestess there too. But then after they talk to him, they decide, let's take a run at Brad Wolf, as in they're going to interrogate him. And Mobius says, let's take a big run at him. So they're really making sure we notice that by echoing the word run, that we get this connection between running and wolf. I can't even believe that. <laughs> I can't even believe there was a wolf on the desk and I missed that. The uninterrupted stream of slick consciousness is huge. Yeah, it is. Amen. Uh, 
So they're going to go take a run at Wolf and interrogate him. And first, before they go in the room, we get this really interesting shot. Like they're peeping through the door peephole, right? First, you have the very obvious similarity to like an eye and a, a pupil that's going on here. It reminds me of what we talked about last episode, the uh, the allegedly the first photo of a black hole, which is so goofy to me. It's a blurry orange circle. Okay, that's a black hole, right? That's proof they exist. Thank you. The uh, <laughs> 27 is hard to make out. It's really hard to make out, uh, but you'll, you would see it if you were watching the whole episode. I'll zoom in. So like the two is very faint on the wall, and then there's a seven. And remember, other than the 73 above the door, there is CCC. CCC is three, 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 three times three times three, or three cubed is 27. 20, and 27 is the third cube number, the first being one and eight being the second. The cube is the shape given for the ark and the earth and the new city of heaven in the book of Revelations. It's all the Pegasus square, in my opinion, where the symbolism comes from in the sky. And it's probably at least partially where this whole idea of the cube, cube, all of it all comes from. Uh, other than, the, of course, like the mathematical fun stuff that the cube has got going with it. <laughs> the Oh, it's a Rukin figure. Good one, Gabe. He pull into Rukin figure. So also, though, um, you know, there's a 27 here. So let's think about words that equal 27. There's what I think is the most interesting one is cough, bet, hey, which you would pronounce. Basically, you could call it cube. I mean, it's the same word. It equals 27. And it uh, it means to shout down, which is basically what's going to happen in this scene. They're, they're going to have their shouting match uh, or it's going to devolve into a shouting match, this interrogation. Or if you move the K and the B, you get B-K-E, uh, bet, cough, hey. And that means crying, like teardrops. Uh, and that's kind of interesting because that fits the eye symbolism in this shot. <laughs> People are going to be almost in tears from this uh, bad conversation. The way he is sitting, maybe we are doggers. Yeah, yeah, uh, gross. It's gross that you're saying that, but it does kind of, you know, look like he might be up to something. <laughs> the other word, though, that's a 27 is is pronounced. I don't know how you pronounce it, but it's a chet yad dalet a, which you could literally transliterate into H-I-D-E, like hide. That's a 27 word. It means enigma, oracle, or puzzle. <laughs> so... This uh, seems to refer to riddles in speech, the mystery of words and letters, the enigmas and puzzles and oracles and all that. And that's what Loki and Mobius are about to try to crack by entering into speech with Brad. They're trying to crack some enigma. And it's about stopping the end of the world. So there is for sure an arc thing like the end of the world and the arc obviously go hand in hand. Uh, and then Loki gives the warning. Or Loki gets the warning from Mobius that Brad is an asshole. Don't let him get under your skin. So let's go back to this shot. And then Brad's an asshole. I don't know. Seems seems like it's there. Um, then 
As they enter the room, you see this reflection shot. This is not the first time Brad is shown in a reflection, but now it's kind of reversed. And it shows us that Loki is about to run into a reflection of himself that he might not like, being that Brad is a total Gamma special boy secret king, like Loki used to be. And the arc symbolism is here too, in the sense that this room looks like it belongs on a freighter, like a freighter ship or something. It's not like a building, but it looks more like a brig that would be on a boat. That's what I see. I don't know what you guys think. This doesn't look like it's in a building. It looks like it's on a boat, like a military vessel. Uh, Brad, more wolfishness, like his bark is way worse than his bite. Uh, he, he does a lot of mouthing off here. Why don't you go ahead and take this time color off and start treating me like someone who outranks you? <laughs> That's such a gamma thing to say. Um, and they, they begin the interrogation by asking him, what were you doing down there on the sacred timeline? And he says, making movies. And then B-15 is like, don't waste our time. But Brad uh, makes a really good point, you know, when he's chastising them about his uh, the rank that, Everyone on the TVA has real lives on the timeline, and B-15 was the one making a big deal about that, and he was just trying to go get his life, go go get his, you know? Uh, when they're calling him X-5, he's like, it's Brad. Bradley. Bradley means broad meadow in, in, in Old English. The uh, equivalent words in Hebrew, Brad is broad, right? And Lee is a meadow. The equivalent equivalent words in Hebrew, if you were to just call something a broad a broad meadow, it would be two twenty five. If you take one of those twos and fives and put them together, uh, you would get a twenty seven. So I don't know, kind of fun, like the number on the room. My middle name's Bradley, by the way. I don't know if that, you guys knew that. That's my middle name, Chance Bradley. It's my mom's maiden name. So while he's Defending himself here for his decision to seek refuge or sanctuary. That's another 73. It's a Chasa. chasa. <laughs> it's Chet Samek A, an equal 73. And so what are you guys mad about? I was just doing what I thought we were all going to do. We're going back to the sacred timeline. We're getting our lives back. And then the interrogation scene continues. Uh, this The same word, actually can also mean to have pity or mercy, this chasa. And Loki's like, come on, man, there's lives at stake. So he's trying to invoke the idea of like pity or mercy to get Brad to open up and speak the truth. (laughs) Well, Dylan says, speaking of gamma, (laughs) the swastika is called gamadion, which is gamma dion, gamma god. That's interesting, the the G god. Interesting. That's the swastika. Huh. Well, isn't that, isn't the Greek gamma, a capital gamma, uh, kind of like a 90 degree angle line like that. And if you put four G's together, it would be a swastika or four gammas together. It'd be a swastika. I never thought about that. That's a good weave, Dylan. Keep that in mind. Swastika. Uh, then Brad basically, um, you know, he, he goes into this interrogation scene. He's telling Loki, you just make everything worse. You're really a loser. You're really a villain. You're not a hero. Mobius, control your little pet, your dog. 
And Mobius quips back like, a knock, knock. Who's there? Brad, Brad, who that's showbiz trying to like, you know, play, play dig into his ego that he's going to just be forgotten. Uh, and trying to offer him, Hey, we'll send you back to the sacred timeline. You just got to do what we want and you can have your life of fame and, and luxury back. This is basically the, uh, the torture scene that happens to the celebrity who's no longer going with the program that the, the controllers have assigned to him. Um, <laughs> and Brad's not buying it. He's like, Mobius, you could be an actor. Uh, you, you almost convinced me, but you're not an analyst. I'm not a hunter. None of this is real. The whole TVA is an illusion. Uh, which I think is kind of interesting how it's like a, a Gnostic allegory reversal where the archons themselves are the illusion rather than the mundane reality being the illusion. And that's one that actually makes more sense to me. The archons are the illusion. Nature and the world are, are the reality. So that whole pop culture simulation theory, demiurge, evil God, yada, yada thing is, I think that that's the reversal. And the real truth is that they're the illusion and the nature is real. And it's kind of what we're getting out of this show and this scene. Uh, interestingly enough. And then Brad's like, Mobius, you just need to wake up. You need to wake up. Tell you wake up and find out who you were on the timeline. You're nothing. You're nothing. You're a nowhere man. Uh, and the Hebrew word for awake is a 270, which is drop the zero like you can do in Gematria. And there's your 27. Uh, and that word is ayin resh, which transliterate would be something kind of like or, like O-A-R, which is kind of cool because <laughs> it's awake and it's spelled, pronounced or. And oars cut through the wake of the water. Um, this is one that freaked me out, though. Word auto key encryption, W-A-K-E, wake, is one of the cryptographic algorithms that can be used to secure data on RFID tags. So back to our, you know, this I brought this in just because of the whole track and trace and surveillance element of all this. So Brad... Haunting Mobius, calling him a nowhere man. Utopia means nowhere. It's no place. The government workers like Mobius, they are the nowhere men. They, you know, the government sells itself as working towards a future utopia, but they themselves have no real geographic location, like the federal government or the state of Missouri, the state of Colorado. They have offices in D.C., but... You know, people have this mistaken idea that the geographical, the geographical region of the state and the government entity, the state of such and such, are the same thing, and they're really not. So he's totally a uh, totally right calling Mobius a nowhere man. That's in the TVA; it exists outside of time and space, so it's nowhere, right? This is the utopia. This is the no place, and this is the the archons, the grand universal <laughs> dictator government system. So we got one more from voice message from Gabe. I'm going to hit that up and then we're going to wrap because we've pretty much got there. Wait, I've got the voice message from Gabe on my phone. It looks like, but I don't see it on the computer. Did you delete it, man? Because we did that six minute one. 
Okay. Maybe you're, I don't know. My computer, my uh, internet's being a little weird. <laughs> We're all having it tonight. So uh, let me know in the chat, Gabe, if you've got one more to shoot at us. Okay. He says he did. Okay. There we go. Why isn't it coming through on the computer? Bear with me, folks. Going to reboot Telegram. We'll get Gabe's final thoughts and then we'll, uh, we'll call it a night. But yeah, you see how it's just like trying to analyze this gets so dense. Um, it's practically more efficient for me to do it by myself, but it's a lot less fun. A lot less fun. I'd, ra- I'd rather take the four-hour stream and get all the Gabe weaves that we can. I know you guys feel the same way. You're not even on my channel for me, are you? Just like that guy. He's taller than me. How dare you? Yeah. Um, are we still live? Because my telegram is acting like my internet's off. I, but StreamYard's operating. Hmm. Hmm. I don't know, guys. This is what my uh, what my telegram looks like right now. So I don't know if I'm going to be able to play Gabe's next voice message. So here's a, an opportunity for all of you to join the Interverse telegram if you're not already on there. I'll forward the stuff in there. We're going to pick this up next time we have a chance. And we're going to also drill into Gabe's problems and figure out why we're having them and stop them before we try to do another stream period. It's going to, we're going to fix it. We're going to it, it, but I, I apologize. I cannot play the next uh, voice messages from Gabe because this is my telegram right now. And I have no idea. So we'll, uh, we'll just have to wrap. Sorry for the letdown, but it's been a great show. Otherwise hope you enjoyed it. Put a lot of work into it. Rachel's the, only person paying me for my work. Thank you, Rachel. We love you. Thank you for the support. We'll, uh, we'll catch you guys on the next one. Thanks for being here. Nighty night. Love you.